What is up, guys? Taiki here, and welcome to episode five of the Crypto Market Wizards podcast. Today, I have here with me Blur.Eat. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Taiki. Nice, nice. So this is, to my knowledge, the first time you're ever doing a podcast. Uh, is there any reason why you've kept such a low profile? And why, why are you even doing this? You, know, you don't have to do this. You're taking the time out of your busy day. Uh, yeah, that's entirely true. Um, and it is the first time I've sort of done anything like this. Uh, I guess in, in one sense, it's kind of been like a, an optionality thing. Um, being very anonymous is, has served me quite well in the past. Um, and in a way, one can sort of slightly build a brand around that. And, and that has been useful to have. Um, uh, but equally, you know, as with everything in life, some things get boring. Uh, and uh, having interesting conversations with interesting people is... is uh, always a great way to spend time so yeah here i am <laughs> yeah nice so like what are the advantages of being anon if you don't mind me asking because i'm super doxxed you know so there are disadvantages advantages but like what let's say benefits have you gotten from being this mysterious figure so weirdly most of them aren't really crypto related um i do a lot of slightly out there travel i'd say um and in a lot of situations, being like a known entity and trying to do that don't really mix very well. It just increases your sort of risk profile quite a lot. Um, and so it was largely that. And then equally for, for a while, uh, I wasn't entirely sure whether or not this was something I wanted to sort of attach my name to for life, if that makes sense. Uh, because once you've sort of become a person that does this, that's who you are. And you can kind of maybe break away from it, but I wasn't sure that I, I wanted to necessarily make that my brand going forward. Um, so it just sort of made sense to remain hidden in a way. Equally, I've never really done any sort of social media of any sort. I've never had a Facebook account, Instagram profile, whatever. Um, so it, it just sort of naturally fit for me. Uh, I've never really been one that, that felt like I needed to sort of push my views out onto other people or, or, or project in that way. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you don't even have a Twitter account, right? I feel like a lot of people, you know, say that you need to have, you, you, need, you need to be on crypto Twitter to get the alpha or get information flow or whatever. Um, but do you think that's not necessary? Is there a reason you don't use crypto Twitter or are you, you know, mainly been, a lurker? I've been doing this for, for pretty much as long as it's, it's been a thing, um, sort of, well, DeFi specifically. Um, and so having sort of come up with it, it's, it's less true for me than I'd say for most, you know, equally, I have a lot of, uh, uh, sort of discord groups, telegram chats, whatever, where basically anything that's interesting will percolate down into it anyway. So it's not like I'm missing out on, on anything at all. Um, there are situations where I don't know, I've deposited size into something, uh, and, you know, would like to have some sort of connection with a developer behind it and, and struggle because, you know, I'm just not a, a known entity. And if they don't necessarily know who you are, that can be challenging. Um, and if I did have some sort of public profile, it might be easier, but you know, it's a, it's a price worth paying or has been historically, I think. Yeah. I think there's this fake blur on Twitter. That's like shilling some scam coin. Um, yeah, people there's, think there's, that I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's been a few of them over the years. It's, um, yeah, you know, what can you do about it? I sort of feel like a lot of the time the Barbra Streisand effect takes over where if you actually try and do something about it, you're probably just going to make the situation worse. So I just leave it and sleeping lions lie. Yeah, that's fair. So, you, you know, you mentioned you've been doing this for a pretty long time. Do you mind telling me, you know, how you got into crypto when you started getting into crypto trading, DeFi, et cetera? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was a, it was a Tuesday night. I was in my dorm room at, at uni and I read an article on the BBC, I think it was, about how some little game had broken uh, the Ethereum blockchain. And that game was, of course, CryptoKitties back in, in the tail end of 2017. Um, 
and I just sort of thought it looked interesting. So, so went and found the website and, uh, and sort of basically fell down the rabbit hole and, and haven't really been able to climb out since then. Um, uh, but put in sort of very small size, you know, sort of mid to high three figures, I think. Um, and that to date has only, has been the only sort of capital I've, I've, I've onboarded. Um, yeah. And, and sort of dropped out of uni not, not long after that. Um, uh, and, and got really into it. Uh, and, and, you know, at that point in time, it was very much the sort of the weird little games, the dApps as they were then known, although that, that name has fallen out of favor, turning into the sort of Ponzi schemes of sort of 2019, the, the proof of weak hands, if you know what that was, or have heard of that, um, FOMO 3d, all those sorts of things. Uh, and if you were playing those like effectively, you know, you, you were sort of trying to win them, uh, in a slightly sort of more upmarket way than I guess most were. Um, it turned out that the skill set that you acquired doing that was exactly the same skill set you needed to sort of win at, at DeFi. So of course, when DeFi summer comes around and the, and the numbers that you're playing for go from being sort of low four figures or whatever to, to suddenly there's billions of dollars sloshing through the system. There were a few of us that were just very well placed to, to take advantage of that. Uh, and we did. Um, yeah. So no, it's really interesting how you said you meant, you meant you started with, let's say under a thousand dollars. Um, and now you have this, you know, this D-Bank or, you know, this portfolio that a lot of people track. Um, and, you know, you have, according to D-Bank, $29.5 million. And you also own a bunch of NFTs. Um, you also mentioned, you know, skill sets that allowed you to be successful in DeFi. Like, what are those skill sets um, that allowed you to, you know, just, I guess, manage risk, um, identify opportunities, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's sort of the, the, the grand edge question. Uh, what is it? Where does it come from? How do you get it? Um, the few people that sort of do what I do effectively, um, and, and I'm not even entirely sure what that is or how I describe it. You know, I, I still struggle to explain to people what it is I do. Um, but essentially there are, I don't know, maybe five or six different uh, and quite unique um, skills that you sort of need to have. And your ability to do it well is sort of glass ceilinged by the one you are worst at, if that makes sense. So you need to have like a, decently good understanding of programming. You don't have to be brilliant. You know, I, I still write most of my scripts in, in JS or whatever. With Ethereum's 12 second block time, you don't necessarily need to be much faster. There are situations where it makes sense to, but you know, it, it's, it's workable. As long as you know your limits, right? That's another big one. You have to know when you're beaten. Because um, if you don't, you can get locked into fights that, that you're going to lose and, and they can be very costly. And, and, and that's obviously bad. Um, you need to have a very decent understanding of sort of incentive models and, and how people will react to things when presented with different situations. Um, you've got to be just generally quite quick. You know, if you're presented with some sort of system or loop, if you, if you can't understand it very fast or at least faster than the vast majority of people will, then you're going to have problems as well. So it's this sort of massively sort of diverse set of, of skills that you kind of need to, to consistently win. Um, you know, edge is often talked about in quite a personal sense. It's sort of like, do you have it or do you not? Um, whereas I kind of view it as like where you sit in the stack, you know, there are at any given time, so many people looking at something, right? Where do you sit in the stack of people that are looking at it? You know, if you sort of throw your hat in the ring, are you confident that you'll be able to come away with, with, with a win, right? Um, very PVP in that sense. Uh, and I guess sort of trading markets are too, although I don't touch those as much. Um, it's just a lot less explicit. You know, when you're, when you're fighting someone for something on chain or whatever, 
you often sort of form this like weird bond and and yes all you can see is an address but sometimes they'll deploy a contract and then you'll have to redeploy yours and you sort of feel like you get to know this person even though you're not really you're just sort of scrolling through an etherscan page um so yeah it's uh it's a question that that obviously is very important to answer and to and to to understand well because if you don't necessarily know where your edge comes from um, or put it another way the golden rule should always be that if you don't know you know more don't touch it um, and the situations in which you know you know more will not be that often right there'll be times where it just makes sense to do something because it's small or light or easy but if you want to go big or you want to like actually sort of throw yourself down the risk curve um knowing that you have some sort of information asymmetric advantage is quite important i'd say yeah so the bigger your edge is you know depending on you know where, where you think you are in terms of the cycle you know like are you early early are you kind of early kind of late 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 um and if you think you're early early do you think you know it gives you the ability to bet more um like how, how do you think yeah, about I position mean, sizing because you know you are throwing your own size you know yeah so <laughs> uh first point would be that, that in the sort of the early days of the Ponzi schemes, we had this just flat 80-20 rule, or it was kind of an 80-10-10 rule, where 80% lose, 10% win a little bit or, or break even, and then 10% make a lot. Um, and it's not really a hard and fast rule, but it it, it props up quite a lot. Um, you see it all over the place, and, and I'd say it's probably pretty accurate. Um, so you've just got to make sure that you're in that first 20%, and ideally in that first 10%. Um, Obviously, with, with scale, and particularly over the last sort of year, year and a half, two years, it's gotten slightly more complicated because it's been very difficult to, to find things where it makes sense to be early in the sort of size that I would need to be using for it to be like worth my time to try and sort of execute on, right? Because, um, you know, realistically, I could just be running sort of T-Bill Plus with, with my stack and I'd be making out a lot better than I would be if I were trying to like sort of fight obscure MEV or, or whatever. Um, and, and that's made it quite difficult. So I tend to sort of focus on the like the protocols or the things where I'll be able to like either farm an outsized sort of percentage of of whatever the token is, or or get some kind of like edge through having size. Um, so it means I don't really shitcoin that much. There's no real point in sort of trying to buy these sort of coins early because you know at max you can get in as a couple of F, and the max return is is not much higher than that either. Um, but, you know, if you get into sort of a farming protocol early where you can really size in, take, you know, maybe 60% of the rewards or whatever, if they've got a, a large reward scheme up front, you can sort of walk away with a, a decently sort of single, mid-single figure percentage of, of the whole. And, and, and that can be very valuable. Um, equally, you know, you can then sort of sit down with the developers and be like, look, you know, there's some incentive alignment here. I'm not really a team member, but I sort of slightly have become one by nature of how much of this I own. So let's, uh, let's go, basically. Yeah, so for example, I'm looking at your wallet now. You have you know, $12 million into Prisma Finance. Um, and I think you ate this like day one, you know, first couple of yeah, hours. Yeah, I did. I slightly late, and, annoyingly. But um, yes, uh, So not going like, super well, annoyingly. Um, the, the idea okay. was, was this is essentially a, uh, it's similar to sort of LUSD or, or any of the sort of CDP um, style protocols. Uh, and the stable coins in those have sat under peg for a while now, largely because you basically get a free carry trade, right? You pay a 0.5% fee up front, you borrow, you take the, the, whatever the stable is in this case, MKUSD, you sell it for die and you stick it in the, the DSR, right? And you're earning 5% a year with a 0.5% upfront fee. So it doesn't take that long, a month and a half. And then suddenly you're in profit. Um, 
This one's slightly different because they have a the ability to sort of change the borrow fee on on the the troves or the CDPs, um, which means that they should be able to maintain peg a lot easier than um, liquidity or, or any of the other sort of systems that have, have leveraged this style of of, of contract set. Um, now you know there's a there's a lag timer on that. Uh, it'll take a while for sort of these things to pass through governance and, and percolate down. But equally, I would imagine it will repeg quite soon. Uh, and then, you know, if you're looking at it from like, a, okay, 5% is the risk-free rate. Well, can I beat that here by buying it under peg? Probably yes. I'd imagine it would repeg slightly sooner than the sort of two or three months that that, that would require um, buying it at, at, at where it sits right now. So, you know, that's just kind of a trade in a way. And it's one where size works uh, because you're not sort of massively limited by... Um, or, you know, you're not going to crush yield on your own, uh, which has been a problem historically. But equally, you know, Justin's son, I think, went in sort of super, super early as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And every time he was selling, he was sort of knocking the price down about 30% or whatever. So you can, it's just, you know, my size isn't really size yet. It's 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 partially the way there, but, but not fully. Yeah, so do you view Prisma as just a pure farm and dump? Uh, or do you actually see, because I, I feel like, you know, sometimes... Justin Sun or you ape insides into a protocol and then, you know, people are like, oh my God, like, you know, it must be good, right? Like, you know, the, the devs must be good, you know, like they, they know something um, and the token is bullish. Um, or do you just view it as, well, it's a pretty good trade. I'll like just deposit, you know, some dollars in here, maybe do the carry trade, stake some die in the DSR. Um, and then with all the rewards, I'll just like dump it, buy more die, stake more die in the DSR, et cetera. Uh, is that kind of view this type of trade? Farm. Yeah, I mean, th this one specifically is very much that. It's not a, you know, I mean, I guess Prisma's pretty entrenched or embedded in the in the curve stack, it seems to be. Um, I was very big into Libra when that sort of started back in, say, May, I guess. Um, yeah. And that was, I wouldn't say it kicked off the sort of LSD, um, we're doing DeFi with LSD's narrative, but it was certainly sort of near the beginning and, and that paid out very well. And I was like, well, and I hadn't actually done the math on like the, essentially the, the the reward curve decay. So if you go and look at the Prisma price and you put it into into the log chart or whatever, it should be more or less a straight line down, right? Uh, and if <laughs> yeah. you do the math on like the rate um, of that decline versus like what you're farming at, you can figure out whether or not it makes sense to farm it based on like how fast you lose. You can just do a load of like math on it, right? To figure out whether or not it, it makes sense to pull two or, or whatever. Um, you can get a little bit scientific about it, so to speak. Um, uh, yeah. And over the last, like, I don't know, two years, um, it's actually weirdly been better to do that than it, it was historically beforehand, if, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not really sure why that is, uh, but but it's certainly been true. Um, part of me what, feels what, like, you know, is... Go what, ahead. what do you mean by better? Uh, as, as in, you know, farming and dumping is better than just like holding trades, given that we're in choppy market no, conditions? No, just the, or... like the, the speed at which um, the, the trades like decline is, is slower, um, but you have more time, if that makes sense. Uh, and more time is important in these because it, it can massively, you know, change. You know, when you're looking at sort of 100% APYs or whatever at the start, getting that for like an extra two days is massively important because it can, you know, it's an extra uh, what, percent ish bit under. Um, yeah. And that can so, sort of very materially change the, the, well, how, how the trade looks, I guess, the, the math on it. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
like as you mentioned earlier, you started out with not that much capital, and I guess you were kind of trading around stuff 2018, 2019, and then of course DeFi summer hit 2020, and I guess you were early to a bunch of things. Um, do you have any favorite memories of DeFi summer uh, or just like the 2020, 2021 bull market um, that you're yeah, to share? Yeah, I, I remember. So I guess the curve launch was quite fun. Um, there was a there's a sort of a load of backstory there, which I guess is probably becoming more and more public as the as the years go on. But um, essentially, the Curve team weren't really allowed to launch Curve, uh, and then some weird. But they put all the contracts um, and sort of the deployment code into a sort of a GitHub, and some random Twitter account gets spun up, deploys the whole thing, um, and then sort of sits back. Now, Curve is written obviously in Viper, which sort of screwed them a few months ago. Um, but but. Uh, at that point, wasn't really used by anyone. So no one really understood how to read it or what was going on. Um, but I sort of muddled through it and figured out how to sort of deposit into these pools and basically was able to get, you know, four or five hours of Curve Farm entirely to myself. Um, and at that point, I wasn't entirely sure whether or not it was the real Curve either. It was this sort of weird, like, yeah. um, is it, isn't it, is it worth something? Do we buy it? Do we not? Um, but I have like the first transfers of curve. I made the curve like Uniswap pools. Um, and was sort of selling curve about $20 a pop. I think at the very start, trying to offload it anywhere I could, cause I was pretty sure that, you know, within a few hours they're like, Nope, this is not the real one. Um, or whatever. Uh, but that was quite enjoyable. Um, I think some of the sort of early snipes, um, so Sniping is pretty well understood now by most people that sort of do this, but equally sort of right at the start when, when no one had really done it before, it was quite a novel and, and unique thing. Um, and it was an incredibly valuable skill to have and kind of tail end of 2020 because so few people knew how to do it. And there were so many coins launching at these absurd, like sort of capitalizations that you could make out incredibly well. Um, and some of the larger ones of those are always going to be nice to sort of look back on and think about. And equally, that's kind of how I made a lot of my money was, you know, sitting there F at 400 or whatever it was, you kept all the profit from those in ether and, and waited and until it went up, you know, it's a, it's a 10x on anything you made sort of sniping or, or, or running around in those days. And, and if that was profitable anyway, and you can sort of just 10 exit by sitting there. Um, yeah, that was a, that was the, the easiest win. Um, there's a load of other things like Faye try protocol. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, the, the launch of that was just a bit special. I'll say. Um, and indeed it got saved, saved at the bell. Uh, it would have been a lot worse if someone hadn't noticed what was going to happen. Um, but essentially because of the way that they'd structured it with the, with the penalty fee, if you tried to, to sell when the coin was under peg, if you were first through the sort of the loop of like claim the fee, claim the tribe, settle the tribe phase, sell the whole thing and just get out. Um, you could push the, the price of the stable down far enough that nobody else could sell at all because the fee was going to be too high. So was able to basically lock up one and a half billion dollars worth of, of, um, of capital just like that with, with not that much sort of effort on my part. I think it was a sort of a single script that was just front running any transaction in the window where they were launching. Um, yeah. that was quite funny. Um, it was a weird one, right? They, weren't they the one that raised like a billion dollars? Yeah. Or they, some I mean, it was egregious amount, right? It was quite a sort of clever launch in that basically what happened was, was they were like, look, you deposit Ether into this pool. Um, when we launch, we will give you an equivalent amount of a stable coin. Um, and then we'll then pull a load of it at the back end. But more than that, we will also give you a proportional amount of like the governance token tribe. Um, so if you deposited quite late, it was, it should theoretically have just been free money. Right. But of course what happens there is, is that the coin just dumps massively at launch because no one actually wants to hold it. They just wanted to get the free money. Um, 
But then it also had this system wherein you were penalized if you tried to sell the stablecoin under peg. So it just seized up basically instantly until they had to to go ahead and remove the um, the the penalty. Um, and then, of course, yeah. it, it sort of collapsed in in ignominious fashion a couple of years later. And the the fight over that was also quite fun, um, where the tribe developer team wanted to buy out Rary. Um, yeah, I remember that for some absurd capitalization. Uh, and there were enough of us tribe holders. Uh, who had enough size, they were like, this is not going to happen um, unless you let us out, right? You give us a pro rata value of the, of the treasury. Um, and eventually we got the pro rata value of the treasury and, and they bought Rary out and then it was hacked about two weeks later and, and they were all hooked <laughs> for that and, and the whole thing just yeah. sort of fell apart. But but that was quite a, quite interesting. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like all the crazy launches, or maybe like the crazy stuff in 2021 just Know, like came back down to earth basically you know like raised a billion yeah, dollars it was an incredibly sort of frothy dollars. frothy time um nothing ever really made sense and the entire time you were doing it you were sort of looking at these things and the numbers associated and you were like well none of this really makes any sense um i'm not going to complain you know i'm making a lot of money but but equally it uh it feels wrong um and you know, sure enough, in a way, it sort of was. Uh, DeFi is is interesting, but it is a it, it is effectively a primitive that that was zero sum. Um, and the further on it went, and the more the sort of skill stack like sort of spread out, if you like, uh, and the people that taught one more and more and more. Um, like anything, like any game, you know, if you if you cheat or you're very good at it, no one's going to want to play with you after a while. And, and of course, that's what happens uh, when when the profits are sort of split between the 20% at the top of the stack and everyone else gets shafted, you know, eventually the, <laughs> the, the pool runs out of steam and liquidity and, and the whole thing sort of collapses down. Uh, yeah. There, inevitable there was, in a way, but, but it was fun to, yeah. to do while it lasted. There, there were a lot of things that made no sense. I remember I was farming on Polygon. I don't know if you ever used Polygon, but yeah, there were these did, goose finance forks with those 4% deposit fees. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the <laughs> deposit fee kept going up. The rates kept going up. It was a sort of, yeah. I know. No, I yeah. remember farming Titan Iron on, oh. on Polygon when Mark Cuban oh, yeah. got screwed. Um, and of course, <laughs> that was the model that Luna then went and sort of copied. Um, so having been sort of deeply involved in that and then seeing Luna come around, I'm like, nope, I've seen this happen before. I know exactly what happens. And to sit for about a year and a half watching it go up until it did ultimately eventually collapse. To... Yeah, um, I remember Iron Finance. I think Alameda deposited like low to mid nine figures like pretty early on. And that kind of create, like, created this massive FOMO rush into Iron Finance. Um, and I was covering it on my channel. I was like, yo, like this thing's going to collapse. But I think it went from like $0 to like $20. And then at some point, like, you know, obviously it like, went to zero. There was like some bug. But um, like, when, when you think about DeFi, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's pretty fun. Or, you know, it's if you were early, right, you could have made money. Um, what is your bull case for DeFi? You know, like, like, why are you still here uh, if you have enough money, you know? You can't be doing Where anything else, else with your life, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you you say that it's it's not entirely true in a way. Um, you know, I'm still quite young, but but it, the, the sort of lifestyle that this required for a very long time was one of which you know you sat in a room for 16 hours a day, seven days a week, taking no breaks. Particularly if you were doing the kind of early, what would then become or be known as MEV um, stuff. You know, an hour taken out was was an hour and a half that you were going to have to spend getting back up to scratch right so you know literally going out for a meal was going to materially cost you in time um 
and you do that for long enough, it, it slightly breaks you in a way. Um, and I've always been a sort of solo operator, so it was having to do everything on my own. And, and that was was fun in a way, but it, it cost me in, in other ways that, that, that were, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to do it again. But equally, it kind of breaks a lot of the other sort of simple things in life for you, right? I, I don't think I'll ever be able to get a, a normal job now um, just because it will never really be able to match um, the, I would say the enjoyment necessarily, but the the degree of of fight of of all the sort of things we've sort of already discussed that that you just don't really get anywhere else right it's like this massively meritocratic no safety net game theoretical system that that we managed to build um where if you were good and you could win you could really win um and how can anything ever really compare to that um you can you can do all sorts of stuff, and I do. I, I've sort of got slightly into, I'd say, adventure tourism over the last couple of years, and have done some some pretty interesting things in that time. Um, but yet, you know, I look at I look at what what I spend my time doing, and I do still spend you know eight, nine, ten hours a day, floating through contracts, you know, on EtherScan, reading around trying to find stuff to like to to break or hoops to jump through or whatever to to try and and, and find some edge or or get ahead of the curve. Um, it's just a lot of fun. You know, there isn't really a a stronger answer than that. I am but a, a set of chemicals that, that wants a thing. And that thing is is enjoyment. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, I mean, going back to the previous question, like, do, do you have a bull case for DeFi? Um, you know, sort of, um, you know, there's a there's a point at which you kind of top out the like, degree of abstraction you, you can kind of get away with because the human brain or like the average human brain can only get away with so much like you know leverage or or sort of tears in the system of of abstraction um and we've sort of topped that out a while ago i think you know every every incremental gain from here in terms of like um structure of protocol or or um primitive is is usually quite incremental it's it's not like a sort of there's no one's launching a new one i mean like you know i've completely changed the game again um and that's fine you know um because when you look at kind of crypto generally uh, you have to ask yourself well, well what does it do and and as much as the people that sort of talk to regulators day in day out or whatever in, in washington or wherever else in the world like to to argue that it's it's actually not a good thing and it's not all criminal you know really what we do is regulatory arbitrage that's kind of it right um we exist outside of of the rails um, that governments have sort of control over. Uh, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's often sort of looked at as a bad thing, but I, I don't think that's true because it really just depends on how important you think things like regulatory arbitrage will be going forward. Um, and I have this sort of, I'd say, longer term thesis, if you like, um, that as the world gets much less unipolar, uh, as, as US dominance falls, as differing sort of economic standards start to appear, um, we sit in this weird little gray zone in the middle that could end up being quite valuable just because it allows you to bridge all of these systems, uh, countries, whatever, systems of thought, um, without having to explicitly allow it. It just exists on the side. No one has control over it. It's like a, it's like no man's land for, for, for economies, if you like. Um, and that's quite valuable, uh, or at least I think it could be. Um, so when you say, well, well what's the bull case? Um, I think it's that. I think that that we will see, I don't want to say a, a collapse necessarily, but a fragmentation of of 
the global economy, which we sort of started to do already, right? Um, if you look at, you know, the US bond market, for instance, um, they are having trouble, or at least the rate, the reason that raise, rates went up so much was in part that they were having trouble selling all of this debt to, to foreign nations who historically bought a lot of it, China, Japan, the Japan's because of the yield control, but India, whatever. Uh, and after the invasion of, of Ukraine by Russia and, and the US sort of freezing down their assets, a lot of these countries kind of looked at their balance sheets and were like, well, okay, you know, we hold a lot of US debt here. Um, and given that, that they're effectively now flexing this muscle that they historically haven't really flexed, um, does that make sense? Does it make sense to be so exposed to the US? And a lot of them have been saying, well, not really. Um, and so the US, you know, sits there and it, it's, it's, it's for the first time in a very long time, kind of in a fight for credit, you know, it needs to attract customers to, 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 to borrow against. Um, and if you kind of extrapolate out this, this idea of, you know, five, 10, 15 years or whatever, and, and where does it go? I'm not entirely sure where it goes, but I don't think it's going to be a sort of hardening of, of these systems, um, along the lines of where they exist now. I think it'll just fragment more. Um, and I think that, that however that happens, it'll end up being some kind of like gray economic system that sits in the middle and, and bridges the, the gaps. Uh, and that's probably going to be us, or at least at the moment, if you were a betting man, you'd probably bet on this. Um, so that's yeah, the so, case. It, it, it just, it just continues to exist basically. I see. And wouldn't that be somewhat of a bull case for Bitcoin and also stable coins, like, you know, Bitcoin as this alternate store of value and then stable coins as the last buyer of us debt, right? We have maker and, you know, all these like tokenized treasury products, just like, you know, converting or, you know, just tokenized treasuries, let's say, um, like, yeah, what is, I mean, yeah. Do you want to expand on that? Yes. I mean, you know, the, the you know, I, I, Bitcoin has only really existed in a, in a time period where we've basically had peace, right? The peace dividend has, has definitely been around since at least 08 and probably quite a long, long time before that. Um, the U S hasn't ever really been severely threatened since, I don't know, the fall of the Soviet union, probably. Um, and China is sort of rising now, but, you know, equally the U S has such a sort of vast lead in, in at least military capabilities that we have a while. Um, but as the sort of peace dividend starts to wither, yeah, I think that is massively bullish for Bitcoin. You know, there comes a point where, okay, if the whole world gets destroyed, then, you know, good luck with your, under, who's going to replace with the Odyssey cables or whatever. And, and, and your Bitcoin is now effectively invalidated and gold is probably the better way to go. You know, I think it was Einstein that said that. I don't know what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones, um, which makes sense. And, and you know, there's kind of a bear case there. But but generally, as long as you're not being sort of super eschatological about it, yeah, I think it's probably bullish for Bitcoin. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, the, in in the sort of intermediate term, um, the U.S. dollar, I think, maintains supremacy um, because there isn't really anything else that can take the take its position. Uh, you know, I, I travel in a lot of places that are quite, um, I don't know how to say this, but, but unstable, probably, um, you know, central banks that, that aren't as strong and, and, and occasionally default or, you know, places that don't really even have central banks at all. Uh, and their governments have, have more or less collapsed. And, and a lot of these people, you know, what do they store their value in? And it is usually things like gold, right? You, you can't, or, or dollars, you know, the dollar is still massively useful in, in most of the world. And there are very few countries outside of the West that you can go to where, you know, if you turn up somewhere, they won't accept dollars as payment. Um, 
But, you know, as the dollar starts to inflate a little bit, you know, eventually that becomes less interesting because you're still getting screwed over. Um, you know, you're, you're, if, if rates are, are up to about sort of five, six percent. Um, and realistically, inflation is running a little hotter than that, which which you would expect it to. Um, that's not ideal. Uh, and one of my sort of one of the sort of more interesting things, I think, that, that will come out of the next couple of years or be built will be these sort of carry trade systems through what, what has been known as sort of RWA, where, you know, let's say you own a load of the Turkish lira or something, which the inflation rate on that at the moment is, is really high. It's sort of, I think it's around 50 percent or more um, and has been higher in the past as well. Uh, they've had some pretty interesting economic policy. You know, you don't really want to hold the Turkish lira. It's not a very good store of value. Um, so what do you want to hold? Well, maybe euros or, or um, dollars or whatever. But equally, the Turkish government really don't want you to do that. They need you holding those lira because, you know, that's how, how they, they buy stuff and, and spend in, in, the, in the international markets. Um, so you've kind of got to get out of the lira, get into dollars, and then you're probably going to want some yield on top of that as well. And, and where can you do that? Um, well, the only place that I know of certainly is crypto. And there's this really interesting phenomenon that, that I find when sort of talking to people about this, um, usually sort of US-based VCs or, or whoever, who don't necessarily fully understand just how difficult it is um, to deal with all of the kind of KYC regulations and, and access to these products that, that you just, you can't use um, unless you, you are inside the system. Um, uh, and it's a market that has never really been tapped before. You know, this just hasn't existed. The sort of globalization of finance isn't really a thing yet. I mean, it, it, it slightly is, but it only is if you were already quite globalized anyway. If you weren't, you know, you stored your cash in gold or whatever the currency of, of the country you're in was in. And if it blew up, then it blew up. And that was, you know, that was your lot in life, you know, holding the peso in Argentina or I think the Ghanaian central bank just revealed a massive fraud last week, wherever you are. Um, and yeah, this is a, it's a use case in a way. Uh, and it's one that, that hasn't really existed before. Um, my, my sort of, you kind of go, okay, what's the bull case for DeFi? Well, you kind of look at it in reverse. Where do we have to get to um, such that it's obvious that it's one? Uh, and I've always said that, you know, if, if the whole thing just disappears tomorrow, if someone breaks elliptic curve cryptography, you know, the US bans it, whatever, like what happens? What's the jeopardy there? Well, at the moment, really, it's that, you know, a bunch of sort of 20 to 35 year old white and Asian guys lose their jobs and have to go work in a bank or whatever, uh, or, or, or whatever. Uh, and, and that isn't ideal. It's, you know, it's not good. How do you get to the point where the whole system becomes existentially risky enough um, that it can't just be collapsed, right? That no one actually wants it to sort of fail because that would have far reaching consequences. Um, and if we can find a way of, of pulling so much capital and wealth into the system, um, and it won't necessarily, I think, be these sort of massive institutions that people are always looking out for. Um, that's how you get there. That's the win condition, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So do you think like the next wave of DeFi adoption isn't going to come from, let's say, new protocol designs? Because, you know, we already have Uniswap, Aave, you know, Lido. I feel like there's not much you can do on top of that, you know? Um, but do you think that, you know, the way DeFi becomes more anti-fragile, let's say, because, um, you know, you mentioned that maybe right now DeFi is a fragile system. Um, if it goes to zero, then I'm out of a job, you know, you'll, you'll be sad. But in the grand scheme, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect the global economy. Uh, but the only way for DeFi to become 
really important to, let's say, the U.S. dollar dominance and whatnot, uh, is if you know the amount of on-chain stablecoins exceed, uh, let's say, 100 billion or 200 billion, even even like a trillion. Is that kind of how you view the next adoption of crypto and how more dollars flow on-chain? Well, if it's going to happen, that kind of has to be how it happens, right? Um, like either it, it does or it doesn't. Uh, and if it doesn't, then, you know, okay, I guess we, we ramble along here for a while until eventually the, the pool of liquidity has become so small that there's sort of no point doing it anymore. Um, the Bitcoiners win. Um, oh, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if it does happen, then yeah, that's, that's kind of how I see it happening. Or at least I don't really see a path that makes sense any other way. Um, you know, uh, like you said, we, we sort of topped out what the EVM can do. You know, we have basically a very sort of slow piece of accounting software that, that you can access from anywhere in the world with, without, um, well, it's permissionless. Um, and there's only so much you can really do with that. And, and we have, I think, and we topped it out quite early. You know, everything, as I said, past that point is, is just sort of small iterations and, and, and tiny upgrades that, yeah, okay, might be upgrades, but equally they're not, you know, they're not game changing. Uh, they're not strong enough on their own back to sort of draw people in. They're really just a, a medium uh, and a way that, that people can can interact once they're in. But you have to draw them in with something else. Um, and I think selling them yield, uh, be, it, be it the US dollar or, or sort of US debt in, in other regards, or just sort of Western debt in general, is, is probably the best way of doing that. Got it. Yeah. Um, so I want to pivot to, I guess, you know, just going through your portfolio. Um, I guess you, have, you, own, you own a lot of stable coins and you're farming with it, but it seems like your biggest bets when it comes to altcoins seems to be, you know, one Kanto. Um, and then you also have, I believe, yeah, like $4 million-ish worth of maker. Um, I, I'm just curious because, I mean, obviously you just told me your, you know, like your longer-term theses on why uh, tokenized treasuries and RWAs are going to be important. Um, but how do you get to this point? Like, how do you build... The conviction for you to say, you know what, like, Kanto is not that liquid, but I'm going to buy up to $3 million worth of it. Uh, like, what is your process like to get to this point? Um, and, you know, how do you manage your conviction? How do you like keep up with invalidation of the trade? Um, and like, what is your t average time horizon when it comes to these types of trades, let's say, or theses? Uh, probably makes sense to start with Maker. Um, and that was born of a, a phenomenon that I'm sure everyone that, that is listening to this will be aware of. That is when you sort of, if you ever sort of fall into one of those discussions with perhaps an older person or whatever um, about crypto, you know, their, their understanding and conception of it will be very much based on when they found out about it and what they read about it at the time, right? So for a long time, it would have been like a 2013 tier, like Bitcoin mining sort of type article. And that's what they'd want to discuss. Um, and then, you know, be it 2017, it might be about monkey pictures or, or you know, NFTs or whatever. Um, and Maker was weirdly like that. You know, if I sort of, if we rewind about a year, um, I sort of remember looking at it and being like, like, there is a plan laid out here that seems to be in motion, um, as far as I can tell, and, and Maker is quite a, a sort of opaque system. Um, you, you basically have to go through the, this governance forum and, and dig out 50, 60 different little pages of, of, of text to really understand what's going on. Um, and they're sort of trying to sort of shift it all into something called the Atlas, but it, it is very um, hard to get a read on. Um, but if you did, and you sat there and you did the work, you, you, you came away with this idea that, hang on a second, in, I don't know, six months time, this is a protocol that's probably going to be making around $80 million a year in like profit. That is absurd. That is worth quite a lot of money. Um, 
and much like the the sort of you know well isn't crypto just bitcoin mining thing um a lot of people when maker first uh announced a pivot back in i think it was sort of 2020 uh, called uh, endgame um it was a bit insane there were parts of that that genuinely didn't make much sense and and you know the ai drone ships uh piece is 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 one that that sort of stands out and and, and it, it all sounded a bit insane and mad uh, and for a long time, and until sort of recently, I'd argue, most people's understanding of where Maker was going was based around that. It was sort of this harebrained scheme that probably wasn't going to work. Uh, and and no one just really seemed to notice that over the sort of the year and a half that followed, it had materially changed. Like the plan was very different. Um, so I was sort of sat there looking at Maker very low, down to sort of about 0.35, I think, on the F ratio. Um, and I just kind of decided that I hadn't really seen anyone else talking about this. It was not, you know, uh, a well-known thing and that the market was wrong. I just said, I just started buying basically. Um, and I, I was, I, I think I just probably got up to a, about a position size where I felt comfortable as a, as a percentage of my portfolio. Um, uh, and then stopped and held. Um, Kanto was slightly different because Kanto was, was, a was very much a farm coin for me. Um, the bridge, I, I don't know if you've ever played with it years ago, but the bridge even today is still not ideal, but back then it was a lot worse um, and it held a lot of people out. But what it meant was, was that the stable pools paid a very, very good rate for a very long time. Um, so it was one of those ones where it was very easy to acquire. I mean, not easy, but you know, if you had size, it was easy to acquire a, a decent amount of it um, just through farming. Um, and, you know, at that point, okay, we have a, a incentive alignment. Does it make sense now to try and start pushing this or tr trying to make it a thing. Um, so that's kind of how the Canto position became a position. Um, equally, you know, Canto is, is Scott Lewis's baby to an extent. Um, and uh, he is someone I respect very deeply uh, and has, or is someone that, that is consistently trying to push the bounds um, of what we're doing. You know, there's very little um, in his, uh, I don't know, book of or, or list of things that he's done and achieved that, that were iterative or, or small upgrades. He's very much about that. Okay. How do we build something completely novel and new? Um, and I just find that quite attractive and interesting, or at least, you know, there's a very high chance that something that does work out in the end and become very big is, is something that, that he has had a hand. So um, aligning myself with that idea and, and that, that mind, if you like, is just felt sensible. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. it seems like you're very patient when it comes to, you know, you, for example, Maker, you were monitoring the governance forums um, and you identified, you know, that, hey, like in a six months, let's say, you know, their profit estimates are going to hit 80 million. And so let's try to front run um, that narrative. Um, and I guess for Canto, you knew, you knew Scott Lewis, um, there was pretty high stablecoin yields. So that was a way to, for you to accumulate a position. Maybe you bought some uh, pretty recently. Um, I... Let me let me share my screen again uh, to talk about the debank stuff. But um, on Canto, you have you, you're basically doing the carry trade right now, right? You have like five million dollars worth of T bill token USYC. You borrow some notes. Um, like, does does using these protocols make you more convinced or you know more convicted in these in these types of trades, um, or are you just trying to you know just literally do the carry trade and make money from it, um, like? Well, I'm very much a learn on the job sort of person. Um, I find that the, the fastest way to just learn about things is to use them. Um, and it's much easier to sort of form or like, you know, let's say that, that you know, to, to create like a functional narrative in your head, you need to jump through like nine nodes. 
Um, if you can achieve the first four or five nodes by just using the thing, um, then it makes sense to just use it. You know, if you have to kind of like try and extrapolate out in your head how the first five are going to work, you you are much less likely to sort of reach the ninth point or whatever to to come up with some idea that that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy using things just to kind of see how they work and and see in in the sort of broader sense if they will work going forward, right? You know, if I find some primitive that is a little bit novel, that I'm like, mm, okay, having used this a bit, I can see like a a mass market appeal, or I can I can see how it would work with some slight changes, and then I can sort of poll and, and look for in the future that that slight specific change, and then and then go in in big when I when I see it or it happens. Um, so that's definitely true. Um, part of it was just genuinely interesting, like the idea of being able to hold. Um, I mean, USYC is reverse repo, as uh, a reverse repo facility specifically, so there's no duration risk on it. It was just quite interesting to me. It was like, okay, how does this work? Equally, the the sort of PID rate on Note, which is the 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 stablecoin you borrow against the USYC is is quite novel. Like one of my favorite protocols to sort of come out of DeFi was Reflexer, which can't ever really work um, for for disparate other reasons. But um, the the model itself and, and the way that it it stabilizes itself, I thought was was very cool. Uh, and Note is similar ish to that. Um, the, the term algo stable gets a very bad rap nowadays, but uh, that's that's more a case of of it. It being very easy to make one that is is just a flat Ponzi, um, and that of course will eventually collapse. That it is anything inherently wrong with the idea of one itself. Um, so yeah, got it, got it. Um, so I want to pivot the, the the topic to NFTs because I also noticed that you own a bunch of NFTs. So let me just pull up your. So this is a little blur, but. Looks like you own 20 punks, uh, a bunch of 323 me bits, 285 redacted Vermilio babies. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, how do you view NFTs? Um, are, are you bullish? Or are you just collecting them? Um, is it a trade? Um, do you think they'll recover? Uh, where are you at when it comes to, you know, or, you know, like what? Are, are, yeah, like, are, are, you, are you bullish NFTs? Let's say. NFTs. Uh, me bits are my Everest. Yes, um, it probably makes sense to rewind a bit here and go back to sort of the 2019 sort of Ponzi yeah, scheme sure. era. Um, and as that was sort of tailing off, there was a very clear bifurcation where one side of that sort of grouping went and became DeFi people uh, and the other side went and became NFT people. Um, but a lot of it stems from 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 the sort of groups that existed back then. Um, so a lot of us that were sort of there at the start kind of bridged the gap, you know, or at least were, were there quite early. I mean, I bought the punk floor at about $69, I think. So, so very, very early. And I've been watching them for a lot longer than that. It was just a case of like, you know, I was there and, and it, it was lucky. Um, the Mevitz thing was a trade specifically where I just, um, I was minting them as they launched and was selling the rare ones and was just rolling any profit back into buying more of them and then just never really sold them since then, which was not an ideal trade. I will be honest. I should have definitely sold them much earlier than I did and have sort of held them down. And, and I, I sort of slightly, oh, I joke that they're my memento mori. You know, they're my, they're the one trade that I've held all the way down despite knowing I really shouldn't do as a, as a, as a reminder that, that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very capable of, of, of making very bad decisions sometimes. Um, NFTs generally are quite interesting because for a, a long time, they were sort of quite obviously the use case in a way, right? Um, and and more so in a way that they kind of allow Ether to win over all of the other sort of chains than, than 
win out generally just because you know if someone owns an nft on ethereum they're kind of locked into ethereum you can sort of kind of try and bridge them but you know particularly for the older ones where you know provenance matters like punks it's it's you're stuck here now like this is this is where you live um but that, i feel kind of that's possibly less true now than it was before um generally i don't think about them that much at all you know i, I very rarely touch them or trade them and, and a lot of what i own is just a the case of like i bought it when it was small and 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 i kind of like the look of it and, and now it's just kind of sat there um, you know i don't really include it in my portfolio valuations or, or whatever and, and it, it's just a thing that you know if it pans out in the long run then cool um i think that if ethereum truly does end up working in a way that i hope it might then things like punks should end up being quite valuable um and equally if it doesn't it doesn't so it's just kind of like ether beta but but with pictures attached um yeah yeah like what do you think about things like board apes versus punks, right? Because punks, it's more of a this, this historical relic, whereas this new generation of PFPs, they're trying to create utility. Uh, are you are you just not into that, um, and are you like just it's, more into art and punks and like art blocks and whatnot? Kind of. Um, I mean, that's that's probably definitely true. Uh, equally, it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a you, you, the discussions there have been had ad nauseum all over the place. Um, if nothing else, I just found the whole thing quite cringe from start to finish. Uh, <laughs> I think it kind of was objectively quite cringe, um, and probably ended up doing the system a disservice. You know, I feel like NFT is a very loaded term now, and, and they're probably a large reason uh, or large part of the reason why, uh, which was probably quite damaging. Um, but you know. I, Without them, would it have got as big as it did? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's pushes and pulls. Uh, God gives with one hand and takes with the other. Um, you know, I, I'd never right. own an ape. I, I did actually own apes because I was farming Blur and, and got saddled with a few of them, um, but would never sort of buy and, and own one. Uh, but equally, it's probably true of just sort of NFTs generally. Um, punks are kind of a special case. I just have held those for so long that they're kind of part of me now. And equally, you know, like my famous one, the, the 9998, technically the most expensive piece of art ever sold, depending on what metric you use uh, and how you define sold, I guess. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be with me for life, I'd imagine. Uh, so uh -huh. I think the, the transaction that, that I used to sort of flash loan buy it was, it cost about 4K, but equally it cost the punk as well, because there's no way I can really sell it now. Um, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Let, let me just do like a viewer audience question here. Um, so... You already answered some of this, but um, you know, you started with let's say under a thousand dollars, and you you know got to where you are now. But you know, what what are some key milestones and pivotal moments um, that you thought was very important for you to get to where you are now? Uh, what is your edge, um, and you know, some yeah biggest lessons and takeaways to find your edge? I guess some advice to the audience. Let's say um, if you can touch on these topics here. Uh, so I say, sometime back in 2019, I ended up finding what is now known as the Maker Purple paper, but it is incredibly difficult to find and I haven't been able to find it for a while. Um, but it was written by, I think, Rune, and it was basically the sort of tokenization thesis, uh, but, but fleshed out in a way that I hadn't really seen written before. Um, and, that, and reading that was enough to basically make me realize that, that this probably made sense and it would make sense to sort of sit down and, and learn to code and a bunch of other things and, and really go all in. Um, and that's what I did. You know, I, I dropped out of school and, and uh, and got lost in a way that, that up to that point had been very much like a, this is like a side thing I'm doing while I do everything else. And then it became like the main thing I was doing and everything else became side. Uh, 
so that was there uh, and then i guess sort of the, the, the kind of six week period over over DeFi summer where it went from being you know a slight kind of like mm, i've made a mistake here and, and this was probably not a wise decision to have made to being like no it's going to work like i was right i just i just was slightly early um although i wasn't really right i just got lucky in a sense um and, and had happened to acquire all the skills i needed to, to to win purely by luck rather than by sort of any uh deliberate intention um and that was quite important uh e even if slightly wrong um and then the rest of the way it's been it's been very sort of you know iterative it's not it's there's, there haven't been any sort of massively standout moments where i was like you know okay here is a decision i'm going to make and and, and and run with it i i generally believe that most people in life don't really make hard decisions you just tend to take the path of least resistance at the time when you're making you know a choice um and and to a great extent, I think that's true of me as well. Um, a lot of what I've done has just been a case of like, at the time it made sense to do it. So I've done it. Um, uh, the only one that really sort of stands out is deciding to sort of quit school and go all in. That was the sort of the furthest down the risk curve decision I've made really, I think in my life, um, turned out to be a good one, although possibly not for the, for the, for the reasons I thought it would be. Um, yeah. My edge, like, like as discussed before, you know, it's that it's that subset of things that that are that are required, and and your ability to to be good is is based on how bad you are or, or the one you are least good at. Uh, and I just happen to have all of them to some degree, um, or at least kind of all of them to some degree. Um, you know, DeFi games when you play them, sort of the level that I do, are not are not. Uh, they're not really like anything else I've ever seen. You know, they're not really like trading um, or, or anything like that. It, it's a very different sort of, of game. It's much more like playing a strategy game or something than it is to, to, to trading where, you, you know, you're, you're up against some set of people and, and you, you know what their wants are because it's, everyone wants the same thing. It's just more. So, that, so the game theory is quite, I wouldn't say easy to map out, but it is very mappable. Um, Got it. Yeah. And um, if you just, if you just sort of attack the problem and, and you're, you're good enough to, to win consistently um, and, and just sort of take it one step further than everyone else can, then yeah, that's, that's the edge. There's no like specific single thing that, that you can really talk about. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you get sort of sit one of those, you know, like verbal reasoning tests as a kid or whatever, and you're just, you know, you can nail a question subconsciously. Um, that's probably a good sign. You know, it, it, it sort of, it requires a whole host of different skills to do that. Uh, and if you're able to, then, then cool. Um, yeah, it's all right. I, I still struggle to describe it, you know, four years in, it's not a, it's not a very easy, easily digestible, um, problem to explain. Yeah. I, I think maybe the lesson here is that people should just mess around with crypto just because it's so new. No one really knows how things work. Um, just experiment with multiple things and just over time, find out what you're good at. Um, and once you do find what you're good at, maybe push that edge. Um, and if you can't, if you can't explain your edge, then you probably don't have an edge. Um, would you say that's kind of in line with how you got here? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely true. You know, if you, if you don't, if you don't know, you know more, don't touch it. Um, unless you're willing to just to, to lose in, in the name of experimentation, uh, which is, you know, equally important to an extent. Um, yeah. But yeah, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of what we do is, is very much just, you know, flipping a coin over and over and over. And, and, you know, sometimes you get six heads in a row and you feel like you've nailed it, but really you just flip six heads in a row. There wasn't, there wasn't much behind it. Um, and it's important to be cognizant of that as well. You know, a lot of people like to sort of stare at charts all day and draw lines or whatever, and, and think that they've kind of like, you know, seen patterns in the, in the tea leaves. Um, and, and maybe they do, you know, I, I'm not, again, I don't really consider myself a trader, but, uh, just be wary would be my sort of advice in a way. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about trading versus investing? It seems like, you know, for example, with Maker and Canto, there are more investments, whereas for things like Libra, Prisma, there are more trades where, I mean, you're just depositing stable coins, but you're, you know, it's a trade when, where you're like taking these, your harvests, right? These, your humble yields and just dumping it in the open market. Um, do you think people are better off investing in today's climate, given the market conditions? Or um, do you think, you know, yeah, like, what do, what do you think about trading versus investing? And how has your mindset shifted uh, in the past four years? Wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I mean, you're definitely right in that, that you know, the sort of maker Canto style things are, are much more investments than they are trades you know um certainly canto would have a lot of trouble offloading that much same with maker though i mean it's a lot thicker than it was because of the yeah smart burn engine um but yeah the smart burn engine um but but still it's you know it's not it's not a position i'm just going to sort of dump one day and, and move on with my life it, it's become a sort of you know a, a large part of, of how i view the space moving forward and equally just feels like a really good trade to be in at the moment um uh what with where it's headed um yeah, the, they're just two very different things. You know, there's not really much overlap at all. Um, a lot of the the sort of the the prismas or the, the libraries of the world really are just okay. If I lay everything out on the table and I sort of you know make us some sort of like MacGyver machine or whatever, where I you know you push a block, it moves a ball, the ball touches something else, and and, and you run it through as far as you can to its sort of Nash equilibrium or logical conclusion, and you sort of go, okay, where does this end up? Then yeah, like if you go, okay, it's going to make sense to put six million here, wait three weeks, farm it out, and then and then walk away. Then then sure, do it. You know, like why would you not? Um, but there's no like longer term thesis behind that. It's that someone has built a game that exists on chain um, that is sort of clearly delineated and defined uh, and if you figure out how it's best played then just play it right um make a canto whatever they're much less uh closed loop a lot more open-ended and require you know different things to go correct um like a good way to look at trading is always or i've always thought has been you know um when you when you enter into it is it something that you need a lot of things to go right for it to work or is it something that you know if something goes wrong it doesn't work and you really want it to be the latter one, right? Where if you, if you imagine it kind of like, well, like you, you watch it play out and, and you need A, B, and C to, to happen. And then that leads to D, E, and F, and then whatever. Like the, each of those little nodes in the sort of the tree, if you need like the, the correct branch to be taken every time for your thesis to play out and then for you naturally to win, not necessarily ideal. Uh, whereas if like it exists and you can see where it's headed and okay, if like X happens, like the government bans it or, you know, whatever, and that's how you lose, that's a much better trade to be in. So for maker, right, it's kind of like, well, they're making $80 million a year. It's quite hard to screw that up. Doable. It's definitely doable, but it's, it's hard, right? The way that you lose there is, is, you know, the government shuts you down. There are a few other options, but like, that's your sort of risk set. And that's, I quite like that trade. It, it just feels nice on paper. Whereas 
I'm trying to think of one that, that would be the opposite of that, where, you know, you, I don't know, like Sol or whatever, right? You buy it on the sort of condition where you think, okay, it's going to kid Ethereum or something, which feels quite unlikely, right? You need a lot of like disparate things to like happen in conjunction with each other for it to, for it to make sense and pan out that way, um, for it to work. Now, you don't actually need to be correct. You can win completely accidentally. Um, you know, it's the flipping the coin thing again. Um, but equally, if you're sort of entering a trade on a thesis that requires like seven things to happen that are all quite unlikely in conjunction with each other, um, it's probably not a great trade to be in or not a great investment to make. Um, so when it comes to investing, that's kind of how I tend to look at it. I'm trying to find the things that that just feel on paper like they're the most likely to happen the way I think they are. Um, the the search space of, of sort of a causal density or whatever is, is much lower. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Maybe the other way to put it is just keep it simple. I think I read, I, I've been reading Market Wizards, like the book uh, to prepare for these interviews, but uh, there was a line that said, if you can't explain why you're holding an asset in four sentences or less, then you shouldn't be holding that asset. Uh, and I think that kind of goes along with, you know, what you just mentioned with the nodes and, you know, if you need all these things to happen for your thesis to play out, then, you know, you're just like, it's probably not you're, you're like hoping, yeah. right? Yeah, it's probably not exactly. gonna happen. Whereas for, yeah. let's say, Maker, it's people want to earn yield on dollars and it's just, they can clip a yield. $80 million, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, essentially. That, that, that's quite a, an astute way of viewing it, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like you're a very, you know, rational, measured person, uh, you know, from like the, after talking to you for an hour. Uh, but how important, is, uh, how important do the gut feel is when it comes to this crypto or just trading or investing in general? Uh, or do you just think more rationally and you try not to make more you know, gut feel slash emotional decisions. I mean, I, I've, you know, I think I, well, for a while, at least I own the most expensive failed transaction on a blockchain ever, I'd imagine. Um, cause I wouldn't, I couldn't see one being bigger than, than the one that I pulled off on Ethereum elsewhere. Um, a lot of it historically has been gut feel, or at least when you're sitting staring at like a contract set or whatever, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really an auditor. I'm not good enough to audit stuff, but I can find the odd bug or the odd sort of, you know, screw up. Um, but sometimes you can just look at things and they just, they don't feel right. Right. I can't tell you specifically how it's going to get broken. I can't sort of tell you why it's going to get broken, but it feels like it's going to get broken. Um, one obvious like exception to that would be like GMX, which I have thought for years would get broken and then, and it still hasn't. Um, uh, but that is, that has been quite important to me, uh, being able to sort of sit and very quickly decide whether or not this is a skip or not. Um, and, you know, equally, there's sort of less jeopardy there for me, because if I'm wrong and I skip, um, it doesn't matter, right? I've just not earned some small percentage of the yield I would have made that year and, and life goes on, I find something else. Um, but if you deposit and things go wrong, that's not not ideal. So like the last time I got really blown up was in Bean when uh, the North Koreans or, or someone else um, figured out that the governance was flash loanable and then and then flash loaned it in, in quite stupendous fashion. Um, and that was quite annoying. It wasn't something I'd really sort of like clocked or what had even thought were possible, nor did anyone else, because, you know, the first rule of like a governance contract should obviously be you don't make it flash loanable. Um, and so no one had really bothered to check. And I think they might have even edited it after the, the audit they had or something, but uh, you know, water under the bridge now. Um, so sometimes it doesn't work. You know, you've got to be very careful with gut feel because you can definitely sort of land yourself in a trap where you assume that, you know, historically I've been correct, so I'll be correct again. And, you know, it's the, the turkey waiting for Christmas analogy at that point. Um, but equally, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily worth ignoring. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's gut feel. There's no real uh, scientific um, way of, of, of laying it out. It's just sometimes things feel right. Sometimes they don't. Uh, yeah. And the, well, the, the, another way to put it, right? Like if you, if you, if you, if you ignore everything that your gut says, don't go with, and then the things that your gut says do go with, you then sit down and like work through properly. That's quite a w good way of doing it. That's kind of how I do it. Right. Um, so there are a lot of things that I do end up dismissing out of hand that do end up working, um, which, okay, fine. But equally the loss to me there isn't super high. And then there are some cases where I'm like, I think this will work. And then I go through it and I find something that makes it break. And then I'm like, okay, well, I don't touch it. Um, but equally, if that's like the approach you take very few times when you actually sort of come a full cropper and get, and get screwed over. Um, occasionally I will just sort of degenerately ape something in a, in a sort of yeah. 2021 manner. Um, uh, but, but less often than most, like I'm still one of the only people I know that, that actually checks every single time I send a transaction that the address that I'm sending to is the correct one. You know, um, most people just don't do that. And they probably should because it would save a lot of the sort of phishing attacks and, and whatnot that, that people fall, fall for. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think what you mentioned earlier is very important. Um, if you miss out on something, right? Like you look at something, you just don't invest in it or you don't buy it and it goes up. Well, it's okay. You know, like yeah, you just missed out. But if you buy something that, that, and it nukes or you get rugged, then it's really, really bad. So it's really important it's to control like, the FOMO like, and do, whatnot. Do, yeah. If you, do you want to be all in or not? And the, the question is always basically just, you know, is it worse for you if you aren't in and everything goes up? Or is it worse if you are and then it goes down? And weirdly for a lot of people, it's definitely the the, the sort of less expected one. It's that you aren't allocated and it goes up. It's just, it's just worse for some reason. Um, and it's the same with like shit coins. You don't have to buy every shit coin you see, right? And there are people that just do. They just, they just buy everything. Um, and it's the same with, with everything, you know, deep whatever. You don't necessarily have to deposit. Um, it, is, it is probably worth being a little bit more judicious um, when it comes to selecting where you um, allocate not just your capital, but also your time, right? Because, you know, if you, if you want, like there are a lot of people that will have sat there for the last, you know, four years shit coining or, or whatever, when, you know, if you reality, if they'd sat down four years ago and be like, right, I'm going to learn, you know, rudimentary Python or something. Um, over those four years, you end up quite a lot further, right? You, you just be a little bit more judicious with, with your time spent. Uh, would be how I put it, and that was something that I sort of made a conscious decision to do quite early. Right, I was gonna, I was gonna learn X, I was gonna learn Y, I was gonna learn Z, um, and then from there, the platform that you build is is it's it's easier. Uh, because one of the problems that, that people run into, and you see this a lot, is that the strategies that you're employing when you have sort of six figures or five figures or seven figures or whatever. Um, they change, right? They're very different as you, as you scale up and the things that work at, at smaller caps, just, they just don't work as, as you get bigger. Um, and if all of your edge or, or whatever you've been doing has been very sort of, or it's required that that specific sort of bound of like capital sizing is where it works. When you move up to the next level and you keep trying to do the same thing, it doesn't work anymore. And either you get blown up or, or whatever. Um, and you have to be very aware that, you know, the game does change. And if you aren't building skills that sort of work through all the tiers of, of the game, it's going to be much harder to move up and stay up as well. Right. You, you, a lot of people round trip and that's possibly why. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I think that's really like important. What you just said there. Um, there's a lot of people that you know, get into crypto because of meme coins or shit coining and, you know, the idea of four figs to seven figs. 
Um, but that only works if you're starting out with a small capital base, uh, because crypto as an asset class is very illiquid. Um, and if your identity or, you know, if the only skill set you have is flipping meme coins, then at some point, uh, it doesn't make sense to ape, you know, shit coins. Just because, you know, if you get something wrong and you're holding this big bag of shitcoin, uh, you just can't get out. Um, and, you know, trying to evolve, you know, yeah, I, I think as a crypto trader slash investor, you kind of have to evolve your mindset um, as the market evolves um, and as, you know, the, the liquidity uh, profile changes as well. Um, do you have any like trading rules that you live by? Um, you know, like don't do this, you know, it, it, like I, you know, yeah, like, you know, like what kind of trading rules do you have if you, if you have any? I mean, yeah, again, I don't, you know, sort of like how I, it's kind of, hmm. When I started doing this properly, right, I, I'm someone that, that really hates risk in a weird way. Like I, I can't gamble. It just makes me feel ill. I, I really don't like it. So all of my trading historically has been, right, how do I find out how to minimize risk as far as I possibly can? Um, so that's like what naturally leads you to something like sniping, right? We're like, well, if there's the coin only exists in one place, it's in a pool and I'm the first one to buy it. My max loss is now like the spread, right? That, that is literally the maximum amount I can lose if this goes wrong, aside from being like, like full rug or whatever. Um, so it just makes sense to buy there. Now, of course, it's a really good idea to do that for other reasons, but, but equally like it's the least risky way of doing it. Um, and that has always been what I've tended towards, um, finding ways of doing stuff that, that, that just carries the least amount of risk. I just don't really like losing very much. Right. Um, which is probably not net beneficial to me. You know, there are times when it makes sense to sort of fall down the risk curve and, and take the sort of 55, 45% plays rather than taking the sort of 95, 5% plays only. Um, uh, but equally, I'm kind of aware of that and, and I know what works for me and what doesn't. Um, and a large part of that is, is being able to kind of like play yourself. Um, like if you know that doing certain things like leaves you shaking and physically unable to sleep, maybe don't do them. Um, even if like, okay, it, it might work out, but if the cost to you is that high, then, you know, might not make as much sense. Um, but other than that, I think everything we've kind of like already discussed is, is, or you can sort of get a broad outline of kind of how I operate from that. Um, it, 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 it isn't, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not like I've sort of sat down at any one point and written these out as rules. It's just it, it's what makes sense at the time, right? You know, if I find something, okay, guts off, ignore it. Find something, okay, this looks like it makes sense. Let's sit down and like run through the docs once or twice and and have a look at like who's already deposited, how it's worked, what the flows have been so far. You know, um, dig through the data, all sorts of crap, and it looks good. Okay, then we deposit, and then we, you know, if it, if it's like a a farm where you can kind of like math it out and sort of look at the, you know the angles on the lines of, of, of the, of the, uh, the, the price charts or whatever, then cool, you know, do that. If, if it's not, then, then don't, you know, um, the start of every day is like a, a sort of a branching decision tree of, of possible routes it can take. Um, and you just tend to get in a flow of like running down the same ones over and over again, just cause they, they sort of work and make sense. Um, but they're not really hard and fast rules. They're just, you know, what makes sense to do at the time. Um, and that can change depending on what you're, you're touching or playing with. Um, they can be complete opposites day to day. Uh, it really just depends on what it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, self-awareness is very important in crypto just because it's a very emotional industry. It's 24 uh, seven social media. Everyone's like celebrating their coins that's went up um, and you kind of have to, you know, pick your own battles. Um, and it seems like you 
personally don't like losing uh, and you hate the idea of risk. Um, so you, it seems like you, you know, move slower, um, you're more methodical in your approach. Um, and whenever you do make a big bet um, or, you know, quote unquote, big bet, uh, it's more longer time horizon where you have this thesis where the, the, the cost of being wrong is relatively low. Is that kind of how, is, is that like a good way to characterize your investing like style? Yeah, more or less. You know, I, you know, I, I would never use leverage. I, I don't really touch sexes because, you know, I'm wary of the blow up risk that they, they entail, you know, historically. Leaving lots of money on taxes has never been a really good idea um, in this industry. Um, so yeah, that's pretty accurate. It. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I mean, you know, you you farm on chain. Uh, you you know you farm stables. Uh, you're bullish. You know, tokenized treasuries and whatnot. Um, why not just withdraw everything and buy T bills or something? Uh, or do you think you know it's because you're, like too because far I'm... down the rabbit hole? <laughs> Well, yes, I'm, I'm also slightly interesting and in then I'm slightly sort of a ghost person when it comes to like That's uh, fair. residency yeah. and where I live and how I exist. And, and it's sort of the degree of personal detail there that I probably can't get into on, on, a, on a public um, yeah, of course. podcast. But um, yeah, you know, I, I could. Um, it, it's, it's an option. But equally, you know, it's, this is one of these sort of things that like everyone kind of implicitly understands. It's true. Uh, you know, money doesn't make you happy or whatever. Uh, and... You can't actually, I think, really ever understand it until you get to the point where you have the money that, that they talk about. And then you're sort of confronted with this problem where, you know, you're, you know, 25, whatever, and you're done, right? You can retire, you can go and do whatever you want for the rest of your life. And you're like, great. But what is that? Um, and that is a really hard question to answer. You know, if you haven't already got a plan in place before you get there, um, you know, a lot of people that do it, they end up going to New York or LA or whatever and, and hanging out with sort of C-list celebrities and, and playing it that route, or, or they end up taking a little drugs and lots of different options where that can go wrong. Um, and quite a lot where it can go right too, but, but it's, it's not an easy question to answer. You know, if you climb to the top of the, the mountain and okay, great, you spend, you know, a couple of minutes celebrating the top and then you either have to kind of look around and be like, right, well, the hike down, or you kind of think about, okay, well, what's the next mountain to climb? Right. You know, when do you stop? What's the, what's the kind of get out point? Um, and I haven't really figured it out yet. You know, this is not a, you know, there's a, in, in my sort of personal day to day life, there's this, and, and not no one, I mean, my, a few people kind of know what I do, but no one really knows to sort of the whole extent of it. Um, but equally there's this sort of slight assumption that people make that you make a little bit of money. You, you must've sort of figured it all out, right? You've solved it. Um, life and it's just not true at all right if anything i know less than you do because you know maybe you have a job or whatever where there's a quite sort of clearly delineated set of goals and, and things that it makes sense to do for you for me it's not really true anymore right? i don't have a, a tether to hold on to um yeah and so the, yeah it's just a yeah, sorry uh, sorry to interrupt but i guess the way you approach life i guess is similar to how you approach markets just do what makes sense in the moment uh, don't be stupid right but just just go with the flow it's, you've accumulated all this knowledge throughout the years and you know you like just do what makes sense i guess like do you have any bigger ambitions when it comes to life uh, you've accumulated wealth you're traveling you're hiking you're doing all this stuff uh like what's the end game for blur it's it's funny because I guess the impression I've given here is that I am quite risk averse, and and if you were able to see a, a sort of travel itinerary of me with mine of the last couple of years, you you sort of U turn on that. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it, it is very much a case of like, I have sort of tried to play my life in such a way that, that I leave as many doors open for as long as possible. Um, and you know, I, I, I still think that there are quite a lot of doors that, that are open. Um, it's one of the reasons that I've stayed anonymous for as long as I have, because as soon as you become unanonymous and this is what you've been doing, you know, a lot of doors instantly close to you. Um, you might not want to believe it's true, but it, but it certainly is. Um, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Uh, I have a feeling that, that part of, you know, becoming a, a mature adult is, is realizing that you probably never will to an extent. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still on a voyage of discovery. In a, in a very sort of, um, yeah. cringe way. It, yeah, uh, I mean, I think we're all in a voyage of discovery in crypto because you know, things that haven't around that were around a year ago, two years ago is now gone. Poof. Uh, we just kind of have to adapt to the markets. Um, where do you think DeFi goes from here? I mean, we already talked about, you know, stable coins and whatnot, but how, how do you think this, the market has changed in over like the past couple of years? Um, and, like, what are your views on, I guess, Ether and other altcoins in general? Um, or do you just kind of focus on, like, your worldviews? So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have sex access at all. Um, so that precluded or, like, I wasn't really able to buy things like Sol or Luna or whatever or get, in, get off the EVM early. Um, not that I tried very hard either, but uh, it, it just wasn't really an avenue that was that was easy for me to access or was open to me. So I, I never really explored outside of that. Equally, you know, insofar as edge exists and I have it, I am definitely sort of an EVM maxi. Um, and the few times I have tried to like write a boss on Sol or whatever, I have, I have, well, not necessarily given up, but it, you know, it's been a week of like hard work and labor and, and I end up with something that isn't necessarily close to what I had envisaged when the sort of equivalent thing, if I was writing it in a medium, I understood would have taken about 20 minutes. Um, and that's not ideal. You know, I should definitely be branching out more than I do, but equally, you know, I found a sort of system that works. So I've, I've kind of been a bit lazy and, and stuck to it. Um, you, yeah. And, and sort of, you know, two years ago, the game was very frothy. No one really understood what, what the limits were or like where it was going to go or, or how it all collapsed. Right. As soon as the, and you, you sort of see this with cycles of, of like, I don't know, Ohm and then all the Ohm clones or whatever. Right. As soon as everyone has understood how it plays out once, the next iterative cycle is much, much faster because everyone knows what the, the equilibrium point is that we're all heading to, right? And in all cases in DeFi, pretty much, where you're inventing value from scratch, the, 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 the end point is zero, right? It can be a very long running one, kind of like curve, maybe, um, with its sort of super slow emissions process, or it can be very fast. Um, but the, the, the sort of natural like, end point is the same. Um, uh, one of the reasons that, and I, I don't think I explained it very well necessarily, it got a bit muddled, but the 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 reasons that the sort of the RWA, and, and if that's what we're going to call it, I guess, then then fine. But the RWA thesis makes sense is, is that finally, for the first time, we're pulling in like real outside yield, right? Um, and in much the same way that, that we need this to work up to the point where it collapsing isn't just a load of people going to, to get jobs. Um, the only way it works is if the people with the guns and the people that like actually decide how the world works are on your side. Um, and they won't necessarily explicitly ever be on your side, but, but, you know, if you've sort of wrapped a load of us debt or whatever, um, onto your system and it suddenly becomes in their best interests to ensure that that stays sound and that that doesn't sort of experience massive outflows, um, then you've also won. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the goal. And I think for the first time in a long time, particularly over the sort of maybe the last six months or so, 
I've been able to envisage like a wind condition wherein that is what happens. Uh, and that hasn't really been possible before. You know, so if you'd asked me that question six months ago, I'd have been a lot more bearish than I am today. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it's really cool because I feel like my bull case for you know, tokenized treasuries, and I've been calling them yield-bearing dollars because I think RWAs trigger people because it implies yeah, that no, Bitcoin's not real and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's... I. I, I I mean, I've been a DeFi content creator for like three years now, uh, over three years, and I've been thinking long and hard about how DeFi recovers from here. And I don't know, like outside of RWAs or you know, yield-bearing dollars, I just like don't see how DeFi becomes anti-fragile because the system now is very fragile. You know, the, the Fed raises rates, it's capital leaves. Um, and the, the response function for DeFi should be to just bridge the risk-free rate on-chain, right? I, I feel like that's kind of how... Yeah, I think you, about there's the a, you know, there's a, like, like, imagine you build a water park. I don't know why I've picked a water park, but I have, right? You build a really, really good water park, right? And you've got loads of guests, whatever. It's it's going super great. You're making loads of money. And then for whatever reason, like, everyone leaves. I don't know, maybe the, the town you're in gets abandoned because of some weird, whatever. But the point is, is you now have a water park that nobody comes to. And you're able to wander around this, the sort of bones of this sort of great thing you built. And there's just no one there and nothing happening. It would be very easy to sort of conclude that the reason for that is that the water park was bad. If you didn't have any like outside knowledge of anything else that was going on. Um, and it's not necessarily true, right? You might still have built a really good water park that was, you know, the perfect water park you could have built. Um, but just extenuous circumstances meant that it was not being used anymore. And that's kind of how I view DeFi in a way, right? I think that the model we built is actually pretty decent, right? The, the primitives we have, the way they all fit together, um, the interoperability is is good um but for reasons not entirely outside of our control but because it you know you can't run a system on an ever decreasing pool of liquidity forever uh, it eventually collapses um but collapses isn't really the right word i think i think hibernates is, is a better one and if you're able to sort of build a medium where okay we, we figure out another way of getting liquidity into the system and liquidity to start using the the water park again this analogy um then I think it just continues to work. You know, it can come back. Uh, its death was was not really a death at all. It was just the the, the like the the underlying value that, that sort of sat beneath it just wasn't very good. You know, USDC that doesn't bear any yield when T bills are paying out five percent is just a bad asset to hold. It's a really bad asset to hold. And the kind of people that are the ones that would use DeFi are not going to ignore that, right? They're going to go and hunt the yield elsewhere. They'll just leave. Um, but if you can get it to a point where the like net neutral asset can exist on DeFi comfortably, right? You know, like all of the bot dollars become yield bearing or whatever, um, it should work. I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't work. It is definitely a sort of net um, efficiency upgrade on what has existed before. Um, you know, you can probably tell I'm British. One of the, the most yeah. sort of weird, interesting things to me when I first came to the US as like a kind of half adult was just how like annoying to use your banking sector was, right? In the UK, we've had basically free like interbank transfers since as long as I can remember, which might be showing my age a little bit, but but you know, that's that's always been something that has existed. Then I came to the US and I was trying to send someone some money and it was like a, a seven day process with a wire and like a $12 fee. I was like, that is insane. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And sure it's improved since then, you've got Venmo and, and Cash App or whatever. Um, but like the primitives we have and what we've built, the sort of the lending markets that are reasonably um, 
anti-fragile now, I'd argue, the ones that have existed for, for quite a long time. And, and of course, risk parameters and, and all that are, are a very important part of that process and can't be ignored. Um, but when they're set correctly, you know, they kind of work. AMMs are cool. Um, perps are very cool. None of that has existed really before in, in the traditional sense. Uh, and that is, it's useful, right? And it's not useful unless like the stuff that you're using it with makes sense to own, which it hasn't for a long time. Um, you know, we, we live in a, in a, in a system where the ebbs and flows are quite severe. Uh, and, and when it ebbs hard, it, it really does ebb and, and everyone leaves and, and, you know, um, it, it, it shuts down for a while. And then when it comes back, it gets really frothy very quickly. And it's the new, you know, like it's changing the world, a new paradigm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that also isn't true. Um, but, you know, it's because the people that are playing it are the ones at the sort of far end of like the early adoption curve and they will just vanish when it doesn't make sense to be there anymore. Uh, you know, none of the capital is sticky. Um, and in a funny way, one of the most important like metrics for a protocol is like how much dead liquidity you have. So, for instance, Maker has the 700 mil from, from Richard Hart, which <laughs> yeah, super useful. Um, a lot of chains just have money on them that are that are basically dead. Um uh, we don't have that yet and we never really have only to a sort of super small scale there's nothing that's like sort of super lindy in our system yet and that'll just change with age um it will come it's just going to take a while um and i, I it, for years i've been you know people sort of go well you know how long and i'm like probably 20 years you know I, I really think that none of this truly truly takes over until the people that are kind of like our age are the ones in power in governments who can decide you know what this is how we're going to do it now um, until you really get to that point, it's very hard to do. So it is a sort of a really long-term thesis. Um, and yeah, there'll be a lot of froth in the media, in the sort of medium term where, you, where you'll be able to do very well. But, you know, if I imagine, assuming that AI hasn't killed us all or, or whatever, you know, how the world looks in 20, 25 years, um, I think a lot of it does run on the systems that we've, we've sort of slowly built out today um, to some extent. Um, I don't know if the coin tickers will be the same or, or, or the colors will be the same or whatever, but, but, Certainly the systems, I think, will will look similar. Um, so, yeah, that's my kind of like grand long-term crypto thesis and largely why I haven't left because um, I still think it makes sense. Um, or at least there's nothing else in the world I've really looked at and gone, this makes more sense to spend my time on. Um, so, yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, so just let me know if you need to leave soon, but, uh, I have you know, a few more questions if you don't mind. Um, okay. like, you, you've been in the space a very long time. Like, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about the crypto market? Uh, and yeah, just general advice for newer participants that's trying to get uh, to where you're at now. Um, Yeah, it's a weird one. This there's this there's this thing I call the I, I, it's probably been written about somewhere else. I just haven't read about it, but I call it the sort of the laden frost effect or the crypto laden frost effect. And the, the laden frost effect is is that sort of weird one in in physics where you know if you coat your you, you can basically touch lava or like molten iron or something very quickly because a layer of steam forms on your hand such that you never actually touch it. There's a tiny gap between your skin and the, and the hot stuff, um, and the same is true of crypto in that, you know, there have been many cases over the last few years where, you know, I'll, I'll read an article on some like actually sort of legitimate news site, the BBC or whatever, about some massive like crypto Ponzi collapsing. One coin or you know, a bunch of Chinese ones, Omnichain or something. 
know, 600 million stolen. I'm like, how, how have I never, ever heard of this? Like at all, you know, and I do this 12 hours a day. Um, and it's important to note that there is a lot of what people think crypto is that it really isn't right. So, you know, if you're like a kind of a lay person, um, over the last couple of years, your exposure to crypto has probably been like things like Cardano and XRP and all the stuff you get sort of sent on Facebook ads or, or whatever. Um, um, because for those people, it, it makes sense to not actually um, interact with the people that, that use it a lot or use the system a lot, because if they do, they get shown out to be frauds quite quickly. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, that this will probably ring true that you'll have a friend or, you know, the people listening to this will have a, a friend or someone that you know that, that isn't really in crypto, but equally has this sort of weird attachment to some sort of very random asset that you wouldn't even necessarily really consider crypto. XRP is a common one. Uh, Cardano is another sort of common one, but there's a lot of them um, and they can be sort of very strange. Um, and yeah, it's because there is there's sort of a very sort of weird tiered system where there are the people that kind of use it day in, day out that are actually sort of doing the stuff that, that I wouldn't say necessarily drives it forward, but is, is possibly interesting. And then there's the side of it where it is just kind of like a flat scam um, and they are selling vaporware and, and clouds and, and, and rainbows and unicorns or whatever. Um, and there's no real value there. Um, so if you're very new, like that is, that is, that is a sort of a misconception and, and sort of in the broader market generally is a misconception that definitely exists and is quite hard to get away from. Um, because for them, the way that they make money is by selling it to as many new eyes as possible. Um, for us, it's not really true. You know, I, I don't want to go out and market Kanto or Maker to, you know, some village in, in rural Thailand, uh, but they will, um. So it's like a sort of percentage game play. A lot of people's understanding of what crypto is and how the market works is not really very accurate. It is a function of, of what people want them to see because they'll make money off it. Um, and that is very annoying as well because it, it kind of just sort of tars the entire industry with, with, with this brush. Um, and yeah, okay, most of what crypto is is probably pretty scammy. Um, you know, sort of maybe talking... 90 percent plus uh, it's only when you sort of get to the sort of the weirder math end of the spectrum uh, either at the consensus level layer or, or at the sort of contract writing layer that it that it truly gets interesting but that's just something to watch out for um, you know if you've if you've if you've found a coin or whatever you've been sitting on it for a long time and it, it it doesn't really seem to like interact with anything else or the bubble of people that 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 are interested in it don't sort of seem to like be part of the broader space in general that's probably a red flag uh, I've explained that very badly, but but I think you can probably kind of see slightly what I mean, or at least you might have run across someone that does really think about Ripple as the the sort of the second coming and and, and why that doesn't necessarily yeah. make sense. Yeah, no, like I used to be like a professional poker player and I had this poker community that was also in the crypto. And there was like this one guy that was so adamant that XRP was going to hit $1,000. And I just could not shake this guy on his belief. And I think there's like always this mismatch. Um, and this is true um, on crypto YouTube and crypto Twitter, uh, where, you know, like sometimes I look at things like XRP, Cardano, like I was like, I'm like, who the hell is buying these coins? And then you, you go to YouTube and you look up crypto and like the first 10 videos that show up is like only XRP and Cardano, right? Uh, and then there's like this mismatch between like our reality versus how people perceive crypto. And I think crypto has like a branding problem. Um, it is kind of scammy. All the biggest headlines revolve around scams. Um, and I think it's going to take time for people to, you know, shift, I guess, how they view crypto. Um, like, what do you think, like, 
what do you think the next bull market looks like? Is it going to look like the same as you know a couple of years ago, or do you think it has to be led by you know, consumer apps, um, gaming, things like that? Like, what do you think well, gets kind us of, there? It's kind of a follow-on from that. I think that what the bull market actually looks like, particularly outside, will be the exact same as it has before on every time, which is that you know it ends up looking like a lot of young people with a lot of money doing very stupid things, <laughs> uh, because no matter what like starts it off, the end will always be the same, right? Yeah. Even if you right. have like some kind of legitimate sort of um, and, and, you know, it's one of the, the, the SEC gets a really bad rap from, from those of us in crypto because they just sort of seem to exist to just piss us off in a way. Um, but equally, they're quite an important, they serve quite an important role. And it's, you know, if you sort of rewind back to the, the 1920s and the start really of like the sort of broad mass market, stock market type stuff, you know, it really doesn't make sense as a society to have it be possible to basically just steal the life savings of a load of people um, because they didn't really know any better and you were a really good salesman, right? Which is what happened a lot. And and the SEC was founded to sort of stop that, you know, to, to shut down bucket shops and stop people selling stuff that, that they really shouldn't have been selling because it was fraud. Um, and that's their role, right? It's to, to stop fraud, basically. Um, and you know, if you're sitting sort of on the crypto side where you're specifically doing something that isn't fraud, it is really annoying to get caught up in the net of all the other stuff that is fraudulent uh, because you're like, well, I'm not, but you know, it's true, but so much of it is that it, it probably just makes more sense to shut the whole thing down than it does to, to try and actually go through and figure out who's right and, and who isn't, um, which is annoying, but you can kind of see where they're coming from. Um, the state ultimately has to look after those people if they do get completely blown up and, and that, that isn't great. Um, so yeah, when, when, when the bull comes back, that'll happen again, right? You know, you'll have people selling, they'll, they'll take whatever the good idea was and they'll, they'll, they'll juice it a bit with, with a token and, and slightly higher rates and, and they'll run it back and, 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 uh, time is a flat circle as they say. Um, but if you sort of rewind a little bit from that point and go, okay, well, what does the the start of it look like? What are the things that they end up cloning that 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 make it work? Um, I do really, really like the. I, I don't really want to call it the Canto model because it's not a model that is specific to Canto, but it is one that Canto, I guess, is slightly pioneering at this point. But it's this way that you can kind of bridge um, ownership of RW or like offhand the yield from. RW, we really need a better name than RWAs, but RWAs yeah, yeah. Um, to people that, that that can't traditionally own them. So, you know, one of your questions was like, why don't you just withdraw it all and own T-bills? Because I can't. I don't have a US denominated bank account. I can't get a US denominated bank account. There is no actual way for me to legally go and buy T-bills um, without a whole host of issues that I don't necessarily want to have to deal with. Um, and that's true for a lot of people, right? But like, let's imagine you build a sort of a lending market where you can offer, I don't know, 20x leverage on uh it wouldn't like t-bill fine but but some other sort of debt instrument i don't know like a like a cdo a mortgage bond or or some sort of corporate debt bond or anything at all it really doesn't matter anything that pays out a yield in a sort of consistent stable way right and you offer 20x leverage on it you tokenize it fine you buy a load of it you put it in this lending market you borrow right up to your sort of limit your hilt uh, and you now have 95 cents on the dollar against whatever you've done. And then you go and buy more of it and you lever it all the way up to your sort of 20x leap. Um, and then on the sort of the supply side, the the supply side and the borrow costs, they ramp up to a sort of weird midpoint, which is just under what the yield is, is what, what the this bond is paying out in yield, right? So let's say it's 8%, right? 
the borrow rate will go up to 7.9% and the supply rate will sit around, I don't know, 78 7.9% as well. Um, what's effectively happened there is, is that the people that have supplied into this lending market um, and, and by supplying, they've just given them dollars basically, um, are earning the yield on whatever that bond is. Um, slightly under, they're getting middleman essentially by the person that, that's looping it up, um, but they're getting that yield. And you're able to do that without requiring the, the lender there to KYC or, or go through all the hoops that you would traditionally have to, right? Um, so what this allows for is it allows for basically every single type of debt instrument you can think of um, to be bought uh, by basically anyone on the planet. Uh, and that is cool. That is novel. That hasn't been done before. Um, and, you know, based on what I understand of the world, I think there is really decent demand for something like that. Um, so that's one way I can see it happening. Um, or at least at the moment, it's the only good way I've sort of seen of, 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 uh, a potential explosion in, in, in TVL or, or, or assets on chain or whatever you want to call it. Um, because really your only like limiter is, is, is the, uh, how much leverage people want to offer you. And of course, when you sort of, you go, okay, you sit back, fine. Let's just do it through protocols and juice a little bit on top. Then you have a system that is actually quite compelling um, in a way that it just historically hasn't been. You're, you're doing DeFi all over again, but you're doing it with these assets that it actually makes sense to hold rather than assets that don't necessarily make all that much sense to hold. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I, I just, I'm just sharing this on the screen, but uh, for, you know, for, for, for like the audience, just explaining what he just talked about is uh, anyone, like if you go through the KYC process, you can mint this USYC, which is a T-bill token. Uh, we're not really sure what the actual yield is, but let's just assume it's five percent. And you know, people like Blur, he's willing to borrow stable coins up to a borrow rate as long as it's paying, or as long as the interest rate is below five percent, um, and to like do this carry trade. Um, and permissionlessly, anyone in the world, uh, if they have you know a MetaMask or you know an EVM wallet, uh, can lend out these stable coins to the people like Blur. Um, and that way, you're kind of tokenizing this treasury, um, and you're you can kind of own this digital asset, or sorry, you, you can own this, you know, this debt instrument uh, without actually owning it. And that's kind of uh, what he's talking about. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I also own Canto and I'm also bullish to model, um, but you know, what needs to happen for your Canto thesis to be invalidated? Uh, you know, like, because every trade has some invalidation, right? Uh, you have a thesis, if it plays out, great. If it doesn't, then you have to cut it at some point. Like, what is that moment for you? The cut point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously you have the whole, like, um, regulatory risk side of things, uh, which exists. Uh, and there's this sort of weird, like, race condition here where, you know, I really think in the long run, it, it kind of makes sense to allow this to happen if you're a government, just because, you know, it allows you to much more easily win the, like, knife fight for credit which is sort of i think coming um but equally you know uh until that is sort of realized at the sort of government level which will be a lot long or will be a long time after it's been sort of realized by everyone else i'd argue um they could try and shut it down right you could just try and be like well you're not allowed to own um assets if you then go and tokenize them or, or whatever right? there's lots of different avenues of doing it so that would kind of invalidate it if they if they very seriously sort of shut it down from a like on chain if it doesn't work well i mean 
much harder to sort of to say uh, you know if you're offering like a 20 percent rate or whatever and, and no one wants it for whatever reason then that might invalidate it but equally like if if one thing has always been true in crypto it's that people don't really assess risk properly um and generally bigger number means more people deposit that's just always been true um not ideal it has caused a lot of problems historically and it will probably continue to cause problems going forward but it but it has been true um uh, but if there isn't much demand for whatever reason for these systems when they're paying out, you know, well above market rates, as they will hopefully be doing in the sort of relatively short term future, um, then that probably invalidates it, I think. Um, but like, is there a hard cutoff point where that's true? Not really. I think it will be very much kind of like a vibes gut thing uh, <laughs> over a over a sort of solid, you know, here are the metrics you want to to sort of lay out. I mean, you could probably write down some kind of like sort of actual hard number breakpoints if you wanted to. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it makes that much sense to do that or at least to stick to them if they do get hit um, just because it really does depend. And then all of this is so like novel and new and nascent that uh, it's really hard to predict how it'll pan out anyway, right? Um, and one of the sort of big things I'm worried about is is this, what I sort of call the lunar problem, right? Which is that it, this model is a lot less clear um, than fully on-chain things, right? There is a level of opacity here that, okay, fine, technically you're protected by US laws and, and actual like ink on paper regulations, but equally like you can't see that. It, to sort of the, the average sort of DeFi participant, it is definitely just not as clean as something where the rules are set and you can go and literally read them in a contract. Um, so what I assume will eventually happen if the model does work or at least like halfway into the model working is, is that you will get people that come along that, that basically try and copy the model, um, but juice it slightly with something that, that isn't fully kosher uh, because it makes the number higher uh, and number higher means more people arrive and, and use the thing. And then eventually it all collapses and, and, and a lot of people end up crying. Um, and if that happens in a very bad way, well, it could just, you know, it can, it can pull down the whole system with it. Um, you know, FTX, yeah, yeah. Mt. Gox, whatever, you know, it's just sort of systemically problematic things that, that are able to like appear and grow. And, and Luna is kind of like a weird one in that a lot of people that kind of understood how this system worked knew it wasn't going to work. And, and that was well understood years before it collapsed. Um, but something like this, because of the slightly sort of hidden and opaque nature of it, it'll be much harder to spot, I think. Um, but kind of at this point, like if you're like, it doesn't really invalidate the Canto thesis because it kind of implies Canto has already worked in that way. Um, but it's still yeah. something I'm watching out for um, because that will be damaging when it happens. Um, but like yeah. equally, you know, if you just, if you offer people 20% on, on a, on a, on, on dollars, why is that not going to work? Um, and yeah. that's the sort of, you know, that's the kind of question I've been asking myself for the last uh, couple of months as I've been sort of slowly accruing. In what in what sort of timeline does that not end up working? And I'm struggling to answer. Um, it's possible, I guess. Um, it's possible that the we can't you know figure out the right interest rate mechanisms or you know uh, whatever. Um, but you yeah, know, back I, to the kind of like how we pan out trades, right? You want the trades that you you know the the unlikely things have to happen for it to not work out versus like you need a load of the nodes like hit in sequence this is definitely one of those types of trades where where the invalidation is is quite unlikely or at least it seems like the validation is likely yeah and and, and like in a way like the the way i've been framing it is like all these yield bearing dollar projects they're effectively vampire attacking usdc which i think 
is an interesting way to view, you know, maybe you, you, I mean, you called it regulatory arbitrage, right? Because like USDC can never offer a staking yield on chain. They offer it on Coinbase, but you know, they can't offer it on chain. Um, and I can definitely see like Circle starting to halt redemptions or charge fees for redemptions if this trade gets, you know, too profitable, right? Um, that could also be a risk. Um, maybe USDC just says, screw you, but maybe another competitor um, takes away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, you're right. you know, you get, it, it kind of gets causally dense at a certain point where like there are lots of, you know, different possible angles that can play out. Yeah, you know, USDC adding a redemption cost to it probably does change the game ever so slightly. I'm not sure it changes it necessarily that much. You know, it kind of depends on, on what sort of fee they charge. You know, if it's 0.01, like a, like 10 basis points or a basis point or whatever, well, fine. I don't think it's as bad as you sort of make it out to be um, or, or it, that it could be made out to be. Um, equally, if the system works, it should end up net reversing the stable coin um, decline. And I think actually maybe this month, and I'm, taking secondhand information here, so don't quote me on it. I haven't actually looked at the numbers myself, but, but stablecoin flows might have reversed finally. Um, yeah, you know, If it works and you can pay 20% or whatever, then then realistically, it's not just a vampire attack on USDC, it's just a vampire attack on USD and banks, if that makes sense. So it, it should just you know, balloon stable. <laughs> so you're like, okay, how does it pan out to like the next bull run like this, right? We reverse the stablecoin flows and then it sort of slowly plays out like that. Um, yeah, but I do think yeah. it's you know at least a sort of a one to two year um, time span before uh, things get get frothy again, regardless of what happens. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and it, uh, you mean that for like the broader crypto markets, right? Uh, just it's, it's gonna take I mean, it's funny some time to recover. Today, we're just talking more the about most, the the most up day in a while, but but slightly, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of what I think the sort of trading at the moment is are the people that just <laughs> yeah. haven't left the system yet that are sat in dollars or whatever and are playing with leverage. Um, you know, who 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 knew is buying crypto at the moment? Um, I mean, maybe you have people that have sort of converted to the Bitcoin thesis on the back of all the war that's going on or, or whatever. Um, but it doesn't feel like that's probably that big a percent of what's happening at the moment. Um, I think we sort of, you know, for it to properly go sort of, you know, multiples bull again like it like it has in, in 2021 or 2017 or whatever um some catalyst has to appear uh, and i don't think we've really seen one yet that, that makes sense for that to, to play out um, you know it's worth remembering as, as well that the, the dollar has inflated a lot since um 2020 right so you know f at 2k is is not necessarily that much better than than f back then at 1.5 or whatever um uh, and it's it's worth being sort of cognizant of the fact that you are not necessarily just trading against the dollar, you're trading against the sort of purchasing power of the dollar, uh, which is not something people tend to graph that often. Um, but it's quite important. You know, it's funny, if you want to go graph Bitcoin against the Argentine peso or the Turkish lira or whatever, one of the other currencies is inflating. Yeah, basically, all-time highs every day, uh, perpetually. Um, but, you know, as, as as rates go up or whatever, the, the US dollar becomes more of, of more like that than it was before. Uh, it's important to remember that. Yeah. 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 I, I also don't see a crazy bull market. I mean, you know, we could be in a bull market, but it's not going to be, you know, euphoric conditions. Let me just, let me, let me just show you this. Uh, these, these are my uh, channel analytics. This might be interesting to you, but like these, these are my subscriber counts. And every time I upload a video, I lose subscribers. And recently, look, it's kind of picking up. Bullish. <laughs> Bullish, we, bullish, one percent uh, change. Yeah, yes. It's funny. I gained seven subscribers yesterday. That's sick. So, 
you know, I, I do think, you know, I mean, crypto is very reflexive, right? Uh, just as price goes higher, uh, more there's more pay, demand. Yeah. It's like a Veblen, they call it a, a Veblen good, I believe. Um, Veblen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, okay, like we're, we're near a two hour mark. Um, I, I do want to keep talking more, but I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we can do a part two if, you know, if the people, de if the people demand it at some time in the future. Um, so last question I have for you, um, or actually, yeah, two more questions. But one of the last question is, you mentioned, you know, you, you have, you might be, have one of the most expensive failed transactions in crypto related to yeah. your punk. I mean, can you, can you go over that again? Uh, it wasn't not a punk, it, it was, it was empty set dollar ESD. Oh, okay. And it's, if you go find it, it actually, there's a bug on Etherscan that, uh, that I've only ever seen on this transaction because it was so unlucky. But essentially the way that that worked was, was there was a, a coupon system when the, the coin went under pay. And you kind of, I'm not going to be able to explain the entirety of how ESD works because it's quite complicated. Um, but, but basically there was like a queue, if you like, of, of like a free for all queue of, of coupons that you, you had to try and get redeemed to, to get out. And, you know, if it were happening nowadays, the whole thing would just be MEV to like perfection. But back then MEV wasn't really a thing. So it was very much a case of like, you just try and gas and race to try and get these things out, um, redeem them. And then you get, you know, a fungible token back that you can go and sell for, for dollars um, rather than holding your coupon. Um, and what would happen, someone built a, a contract called the Clipper uh, which meant that, you know, if you weren't very good at that sort of gas race or, or, or war or whatever, um, you could offer um, your coupons up to someone else for some percentage fee or whatever, and they would redeem them for you, which was perfect. Right? It made sense. Um, problem was, was this contract was incredibly rudimentary uh, and not and not super well designed. And there was no like time lock on your setting the fee, right? So what you could do is, is you could set a 20% fee up front, wait until 20 seconds before you know, the rollover when the coupons will be clippable and then just drop it to 0%, right? Um, which was really annoying if you were someone cl clipping coupons because you were paying up to sort of 100,000 guay to like clip these, right? It was that valuable to like, to, to, to pull it off. So if you, if you did it for somebody and, and then didn't get paid, it was very annoying. Um, and it meant that you, you had to basically sort of pre-deploy these contracts with sets in a queue of like the people you were going to clip coupons for. Because if you try to do it all in the same block, you know, you were paying 100,000 guay to like add all that storage data versus the 10 guay you'd be paying to do it, you know, an hour before or whatever. Um, and what happened to me was, was that right at the last moment um, before the rollover, a load of people sort of got savvy of this, like, oh, I can just change the fee to 0% and I'll still get clipped. And they did that. Uh, and I built a sort of script out that would very quickly like reorder the list, deploy a contract for me um, so that I could hit it correctly and not clip people for free. Um, but what happened was, was that uh, there were maybe eight in the queue, like originally when I sort of designed this um, and all the people pulling out meant that sort of queue number ballooned to about 30 people. Um, and that meant the gas price or the gas like limit of that transaction went up massively. Uh, and in the end, I won the race in this specific occasion at about 130,000 way, I think it was. Uh, but I had set my gas limit about 0.1% too low. So the, the transaction actually failed in the gas token, like contract explosions, which if you know what that is from years ago, you used to be able to like get a, uh, sort of 40% of the cost of your gas back, um, by freeing up storage space. And there was sort of a tokenization system that existed around this. Um, but I was so close to the limit that the failure actually happened in that like final 
final few sort of points of gas, uh, such that Etherscan still shows the the gas token uh, contracts as destructing, even though they ultimately didn't, and they were refunded to me. Um, so I won the race, did all of it, and then had to watch it all get undone, pay all the gas for it, and then watch someone else come in just behind me uh, and win the thing. And it cost me about, I think it was like 230 Ether, I think, at the time. Jeez. And there have been bigger transactions that succeeded that paid more gas, but that was, I think, the biggest transaction that had failed. Um, so I got literally no value out of it at all. And, and not only that, it was worse because had I like won or at least, you know, put 20K more gas limit, um, I think it was worth like 200K or something. Oh, it was a lot. I was, on a, I was on a bus in Turkey on a ferry crossing the, the Dardanelles Strait south of Istanbul at the time, hotspotting off my phone. When I saw it, it happened. Uh, I was sort of looking at a like a an SSH instance on my phone, and I just I just I just turned it off and I didn't open my laptop again for like another day and a half after that because I knew instantly what I'd done and it was so annoying. Um, but yeah, that's the story of that. Well, well, at least I mean, yeah, you must have been tilted at the time, but at it was least pretty you... tilted. Yeah. Yeah, at least you can say, you know, like I. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of like the way I sort of viewed it at the time was like, okay, I've I have bought an incredibly expensive anecdote <laughs> to get <laughs> yeah. sort of mileage out of it. I have to, you know, how many times do I have to tell the story? But but yeah, um, it is what it is. Yeah, it, it's it's like someone's just buying some expensive NFT that is like down ninety percent, but at least you know. It's it's tuition it, fees, as we call it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah, th yeah th thanks for the story. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, almost two hours in, um, if anyone's listening to this still now, I mean, you know, they deserve some alpha, right? Uh, do you have any, I mean, it doesn't have to be like alpha, but like, like, do you have any life alpha or like crypto alpha, um, just general, how to, how to make it, um, you know, my audience, you know, I mean, myself included, like we're all trying to make it out How here to make it. Grinding. Um, that somehow implies I already have. And as I sort of said earlier, you know, this, <laughs> this is, this is misdirection that people assume you kind of, no, I have no idea at all. Um, you know, in many ways, I kind of look at the way my life has pan out now, and I sort of, if I could rewind it and, and just live a sort of slightly simpler one, would I would I take that option? And the answer is maybe. So, so maybe the sort of alpha is is that making it isn't necessarily what you want to do, even if you think it is, which is terrible advice and not something you want to hear. But, but you know, it, it, possibly true. Um, yeah, I sort of joke that there are very few twenty-five-year-olds that would that would sort of look at, at my life and be like, I don't want to trade. But but if they did then ultimately trade, I think most of them would probably trade back within a week. Um, it's not an easy lifestyle necessarily this. Uh, and I look a lot older than I do because, you know, if you, if, you, if you sit with this kind of risk on attitude most of the time, you know, every morning you wake up is one of those like, okay, has something gone badly wrong in the night that I'm going to have to like mitigate for, you know. Um, yeah, isn't necessarily yeah, yeah. super fun. Um, yeah, but it seems like you manage life. Uh, like, I mean, it's not really work, but you know, you, you seem to manage like the work life yeah, balance I mean, pretty well. Of, you know, it's, right? it's 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 very prima donnery, and you know, I, I'm not complaining in any way at all. If, if you know, if you imagine it as sort of a Monte Carlo simulation or whatever, my the, sort of the path I've picked is definitely one of the snakes that that's run close to the top of the of the line, I think. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's always fun reflecting. Um, yeah, no, that, and it's important that's important. Uh, it's a very you have a very humble way of, you know, you seem very uh, self-aware, um, not cocky. Uh, you know, you say that there's elements of luck involved, but I mean, every, everyone has luck, right? I mean, you, you kind of have to put your position, you, you kind of have to put yourself in a position to be lucky. 
sure like you do have to spend the sort of you know 16 hours seven days a week for two years like that was a requirement and i wouldn't have made it if i didn't do that um and it was very brutal uh you know but equally there wasn't you know any sort of massive degree of skill i'm not a very good programmer you know i'm not excellent at, at all of these skills i'm just good enough at all of them that that the net is 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 it works um you know my, my risk appetite weirdly is high enough even though i, I sort of very dislike it that plays to my favor because it means I spend a lot more time figuring out how to minimize it than, than most people do. Um, yeah. Um, I don't really have any alpha. It's sort of one of the things I've, I've never done. You know, you, you get a family friend calling up saying, Oh, what coin should I buy? I, I, you never <laughs> give an answer just because it, 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 it never ends well. Um, equally, you know, having sort of talked about Canto here, a lot of people that, that own Canto off the back of me sort of selling it to them who, at least in some part view me as responsible for the for the direction the line goes and it's not something i really want to to to, to feel or be in a position to to sort of to hold up that uh that weight of expectation um inevitable to an extent and, and if you want to sort of you know move a little yeah. bit into the kind of like well doing what you do you sort of have to shoulder that that risk um and, and deal with it as it comes and be a little bit perhaps more sure of, of what you're selling than than you would be if it were just you you know, if I get blown up tomorrow, I'm pretty confident I'd be able to like at least make most of it back or some of it back or, or survive. Um, you know, if you blow up other people as a consequence of what you're selling them, it's a little bit less easy to deal with perhaps. Um, so I kind of really respect you for being able to do what you do in a way. I definitely couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it. Yeah, there's, yeah, content's, yeah, content, content's very hard. Um, sometimes people love you, sometimes people hate you. Um, all I can do, I mean, the the best thing I can do is just try to be authentic. Um, you know, like, even if I'm wrong, it's like, it's not that I'm like, it's not that I have that bad intentions, right? I, I yeah, literally you believe you in what I'm saying. deliberately trying to defraud. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, okay. I've always joked that, you know, like a lot of what I do is, is, is possibly on the gray line of like, what is acceptable and what is not, you know? Um, but I've always claimed that, that everything I do, or at least everything I try to do is, is cricket or, or at the ultimate point, you know, the moral arbiter of this space is Etherscan. And if doing something is going to make them put a red, a red sort of notice on your wallet, then probably don't do it. Um, uh, but yeah, slightly harder for the people that, that, that assume a position of trust, um, which yeah. is something I've never really had to do. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's not something that I think I'd be, I'd, I'd enjoy, um, which ties into yeah. why I've never really bothered with social media or, or, or Twitter or anything like that. It's just a, a whole element to this game that, that feels a little bit dangerous in a way to me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about, you know, I guess people following and stuff. I mean, this, this is going to be like a two-hour podcast episode, right? So like if anyone's clicking on this, they're going to lean more towards sophisticated and, you know, more, yeah, like, you know, they're here to learn um, and I guess get part of your wisdom. Um, you know, Mr. Humble Blur here. Um, but anyways, uh Let's let's wrap up two hours. It's a pretty good time, I think. Um, do you have any final words for the guests? Final words of wisdom? Anything you want to share with the audience? Life advice, whatever. Um, not really. Uh, bad answer, I know, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, you know. No, I don't. There's, there's nothing witty, or I, I've blanked completely. Um, okay. Yeah, just maybe enjoy life, enjoy nature, kind of thing. Yeah, do you want to tell us about your uh, your 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 trips? I guess to wrap up. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you know, I, I for a while I was I was doing um, what is what is termed dark tourism, I guess, where you go to specifically dangerous places, um, you know, Iraq, uh, Ukraine after the invasion, Sri Lanka when the government was falling apart, that kind of thing. Um, but recently, I've been looking at sort of experiential stuff. So I uh, snow kited across Greenland. I've just finished a, a ten day hike in Turkey. Um, Sort of stuff like that where you know it's very type two fun and most of it is quite type two fun you know, it's the sort of stuff that you do where it sucks at the time uh, and then you finish it and you're like wow i'm very glad i did that or pulled it off whatever and the endorphin kick you get at the end is is very enjoyable um, more generally i just move around a lot i think in 2022 i touched about 51 countries total over the course of the year um, not including repeats which is quite a lot you know i spend a lot of time in airports and on planes um, I'm a pilot, which I quite enjoy doing. Um, by accident, uh, not it was never an, an intention of mine, but I got locked out of the US because of, of my travel history. Um, in COVID, all of the, the embassies were shut. So the only way in was to, to get a, a student visa. Um, and I didn't really fancy going to, to college again. So I found out that, that under that umbrella of, of, well, visa types is the, the vocational training. And in that, you can become an electrician or a dance coach or a chef or, or a pilot. Um, so, so I've got a pilot's license that way and, and fly a decent amount now. Um, yeah, nice. I don't know. You know, I, I made this decision to try and try and like run the gauntlet of human experience before I was 30 and, and I'm, I'm a decent way down the list by now, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because, you know, if you get to that point and you, you, you tend to acquire uh, responsibility to some extent, you know, be it a family or, or whatever. Um, and I'm in a sort of this ludicrous position where I, I have, more or less unlimited wealth and the kind of like you can actually spend it sense if you're not buying capital assets um, and, and no responsibility at all. You know, it's not tied to equity in a company I've started or, or anything else. And thus I'm free to, to kind of do what I want. Um, and as I said, I sort of said earlier that, you know, when you, when you are confronted with that problem, it's quite a difficult problem to, to, to answer because, you know, most people, they sort of imagine that they want to do all these sort of things and go all these play, you know, and reality, most people don't actually. And I sort of decided that I would. And COVID helped quite a lot with that because it kind of forced me out of my comfort zone and that, you know, I didn't really want to sit in a flat on my own for, you know, two years, even though I was sort of the person that would be most comfortable with that outside of, of, of COVID being a thing. Um, and it just forced me out into the world and into the sort of more interesting places that couldn't afford to deal with, with, uh, with COVID in the way the West did really. Um, and I never really looked back. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like you're living a life. <laughs> you, yeah, I, you seem, you know, yeah, I'm living a life. It's uh, it's novel, certainly. Um, and and there's a you know, it was, it was about a guy who'd um, he'd spent two years sort of basically hitchhiking and living rough around the U.S. Um, and he was sort of talking about it in, in hindsight. And he was like, look, you know, if you go and do something like this, um, you have to kind of be comfortable and okay with um, being the most interesting man in the room in a way. Uh, and that is very double edged sword in a way that, you know, you, you can't necessarily understand unless you kind of have, have experienced it. Uh, and I very much sort of found that has become a thing, um, recently. And I've, you know, I'm, I'm still very anonymous, but, but I've become a little bit less so perhaps in the last year. Um, I'm trying to sort of navigate who I want to be perceived as it's become, well, an interesting problem because there were sort of a couple of facets I could like prioritize, but, but I haven't really figured out which one makes the most sense for me yet. Um, you know, 
none of that really is life advice. It's much more me sort of agony aunting you and, and, and <laughs> this becoming sort of therapy in a sort of very weird and abstract sense. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, it's different for everyone. You know, the problems that you face are most likely unique to you in some capacity. Um, but I think one thing that I would definitely advise is that most people just don't sit and reflect anymore. You know, you, you most everyone has a phone and if you sit down for five minutes or whatever, you, you take the phone out and you, you play a game of chess or you look at memes or whatever. Uh, but just sitting down and thinking sometimes is, is a very good use of time. Uh, and most people don't really bother anymore. And that's a shame, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Blur. Um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be had uh, from this episode, um, and I hope the audience enjoyed it as well. Um, well, I mean, you're off the you're off the grid, so there's like no way for anyone to ask you questions. But maybe some sometime next year we can do like a part two uh, to see you know yeah. where you are and whether like the you know like the art of see if it all panned like, out. Yeah, yes. see if it all panned out. Be That'd be cool. It'll all right, cool. Well, well, thank you so much. I uh, hope you well, guys enjoyed. Um, and yeah, have, have a good day, sir.